In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of truth, who art everywhere present, and fillest all things, O treasure of a good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us, and cleanse the very stain, and save our souls, O good one. Sit down. This is part three of our series of talks to do with this particular elder, which is Elder Paisios of Manathos. The first one was the life, which was talk 15. The last month one was encounters with the elder, people who met him and their experiences. And this one today is the um, teachings of Elder Paisios. But as I prepared this talk and just was going through and getting just ones I thought would be useful. I mean, obviously everything's useful, but just some in particular. I discovered that there was just so many things. So we'll see how we go today, but there might be next week another one. So those of you who have the um, energy, you're welcome to come. But we'll, I'll announce it at the end of the, of the talk, because sometimes we don't want to go too long. Some people get too tired. That's why we have the break. Now, for those of you who weren't here, Elder Paisios died in 1994. He was born in 1924, and he was a great ascetic, a man of prayer, a man of fasting. And the last few probably decades of his life, he became popular, uh, especially for people in Greece that would go to him to get his counsel, to ask his prayers, but also people from all over the world flocked to him. Two places they could go to meet him. One was at his little kaliva, as it's called in Greek, but hut, little house that he had on Mount Athos in Greece. And the second place was when he would be visiting the nuns' monastery, which he helped establish in Thessaloniki, which is called the uh, Apostle John, that's the place of it there, who also publishes books now. And he also would go there once a year or twice a year and people would be able to come to him there, especially women who weren't allowed otherwise to go on to Manathos to visit him. And he would have to be one of the most famous elders of Greece, but because of his books and the depth of his teachings and the miracles and, the, and, and, and everything, I think would have to say that he's now become known all over the world. I mentioned in the first talk that his books have been translated into a lot of languages and there's still a lot of languages to come. So last time when I went through the books, I did not, I forgot to actually name them. I showed you, but for the benefit of those on the tape, they have to know. This book is um, excellent, which is Elder, this one's not printed by the, the nuns, but it's still good, Elder Paisios of the Holy Mountain. That's one book which has got a lot of his teachings. Then we have this book which I've already mentioned, I found, I only first read it when I started to prepare for this talk, With Pain and Love for Contemporary Man, which, which especially has teachings to do with people that live in the world. I found that just excellent. Um, then we've got a book that he wrote, which is about he's the, the elder, the Saint Arsenios, which I mentioned in, his, in the first talk, which was the person who um, baptised him. And 
he wrote this book about that elder, but even though he, uh, the, this elder died a few months after the elder was born and gave him his name, because the elder Paisus' name as a lay person before he became a monk was Arsenios, because this particular saint baptised him with his own name. Then there's a book which the elder himself wrote, which is called Athenite Fathers and Athenite Matters, The Wisdom of Mount Athos, and then there's this book here, which... I also purchased quite a few to be available to you people, is Elder Paisus of Anathos, his epistles, but this book is mostly to do with those who are contemplating and want to become monastics. And he speaks about how to prepare and, and things like that. I found this book excellent. For lay people, you, you'd still get some things out of it, but maybe uh, I would stick to the other ones first, and then if you want more, then you do it. So that's the... That's the um, the books that are available of the elder, which we have at the back, but you can buy them wherever you want or don't buy them at all. So let's start now with the um, teachings. Now, there are, I notice there's a lot of new people today, and you have to realise that um, I've been doing now these talks nearly two years, and some of you are here for the first time, which is good and you're welcome, but you might listen to things that uh, you're not going to understand as much as the others that have been here because they've been here over a long period of time and therefore I have slowly brought them with God's help to this stage where we are today. So if you start to get confused or you're not sure about things, don't you know go into a, a madness. You just uh, understand that you, you can't expect to understand everything. Some of you will understand the new ones as well, but there are people who won't. So it might be a bit alien to you because what we're going to present tonight is the raw teachings of the elder. And I will try to reword them and make them more understandable uh, to people. Some people are educated, might understand it better, but some young people, some who people who don't speak English well, or just some people who aren't very um, literate, one can say, uh, might not understand. So I'll try to make it all easy for you. So just bear with that. The first thing which I found was his teaching on the evil eye because we do hear a lot about the, uh, the evil eye and I'll read you what he says, what the elder says. He says, A young man was complaining that he is constantly under the spell of the evil eye and keeps going to a woman who knows how to ward it off. Now, those of you who are Greek, I don't know about the ones with Arabic backgrounds, probably the same, I don't know about Russians, but I know about the Greeks, that in villages and even in cities, that when they think that someone's given them the evil eye and they feel sick, then they run over to other, some women who do certain little things and help them to get rid of this evil eye. We have to decide, of course, is the evil eye true? And if it is true, do these people actually have it? Are they imagining it? And that's what we're going to try and explain now. Then the elder asked him, how does she do it? How does she take the evil eye away? And the person says, I don't know, because whatever she says, she says it secretly, so I cannot hear. Then the elder said, but the church does not keep secrets, because I don't know if you know, that everything the church has is open for the public. All the priest's prayers, even though some prayers are said secretly 
during the liturgy and during other services, they are available to all Orthodox people to read through and there's interpretations of them and things. So in the church, there are no secrets. Unless, you, of course, you belong to the Catholic Church, then we've got these Da Vinci Codes and all these things. Now, these things are very interesting because even though I didn't watch it because I didn't want to be bored and get sick, but I have to speak about it because some of you might have watched it and some of you might not know what it's about. This spirit that there's all these secrets, secret books and secret messages and all these type of things in their church, not in ours. We don't have secrets. So we don't have all of a sudden that um, an ascetic in Greece and the Holy Mountain has all of a sudden revealed something that the church has never known for centuries, but it's all new. Like in the Catholic Church where they've got what they call Saint Bernadette, I was a young girl and she saw a vision of the Mother of God and she said, I am the Immaculate Conception, which, is, which we don't agree because we say that everyone except for Christ is born with original sin. The Catholic Church, to glorify the Mother of God more and more and more and more, brought up this new teaching which says that uh, the Mother of God was, because she gave birth to God, then she must have been free from stain. And this is not an orthodox teaching. And it was a special thing. All these other special messages in Portugal and other places where they're going to convert the whole of Russia to Catholicism. All these messages, messages about the end of the world. We don't have any of that because what we've got is what we've got. And we don't especially take notice of children who supposedly see visions who are more open because they're children to demonic suggestion and take their word as something special. We've had children that have seen visions in the Orthodox Church, but when you read the lives of these children, there's nothing special that all of a sudden we're going to be offered a secret that no one knows. That's what the Da Vinci Code's about, and that's what all this other rubbish is about. So that's not in the Orthodox Church. So well here as well that the Elder says that there are no prayers. There is nothing in the Orthodox Church which is a secret. Nor is there anything special that's going to be coming soon. Like the Protestants, all of a sudden they say, oh, you know, we've got a special message from Jehovah. Or others, or not the Protestants, they don't do the Jehovah, but the Jehovah Witnesses, how they started their religion. Or the Mormons, that some young fellow was, at a, on, uh, was sitting at a tree and then he was told where to go and find these special uh, books or something. And then all of a sudden he made up the, what's his name, Smith or something. And he made up the religion of... Uh, the Mormons. See, those, don't, those things don't exist in the Orthodox. When you hear these, there's an elder in Manathos, or there's an elder in Russia, or there's an elder in Serbia, or there's an elder um, that lives in one of the pylons of Circular Quay and he's secretly living in there, and sorry, the Harbour Bridge, sorry, and that he's got all these special revelations of what's... of, of um, Something that the church has never known. Prophecies, yes, some saints might say a prophecy, which is to do with warnings or something like that, but not these type of things. Then, then Father Paisio said, but the church does not keep secrets. He gave him a cross and told him, wear this cross and no one will be able to cast the evil eye on you. Go to confession and receive Holy Communion. Only people who stay away from these two things are open to the evil eye. The evil eye comes from people who are jealous or malicious. Now, I must admit that as I came to the church as an older person, around 20, 
223, I can't remember, 25, I think. So before that, I used to hear, because some Greeks used to spit, um, because they believed that by spitting that you get rid of the evil spirits, and they were really into this evil eye. Now, gypsies, for example, when they used to go to the doors of the Greeks in their villages, would say, give us some oil, give us some food. And then they would say, if you don't give it to us, then we'll curse you. And uh, a lot of Greeks used to be scared of the curses of them, so they used to give them that, so nothing bad's going to happen to their family. So there is a lot of uh, fear, superstition, confusion. But when we are active members of the church, when we are participating in the church's life, when we read, when we go to confession, when we confess our sins, etc., and God enlightens us, then we become, we get more understanding of all these things. So that's the first thing he said. And then he continues on about it in another section on the evil eye, which I think will be useful. So the evil eye is true. Let's see what he says here. How does it come about? He said before jealousy and all that. When jealousy is malicious, it may cause a lot of harm. That's what the evil eye is all about. It's a demonic force. So let me explain. You can get jealous and say, oh, look at that person's got a nice car. That's a jealousy, which is still wrong, but that's not the same as a person who has jealousy and becomes hateful towards that person who they're jealous of, become malicious, bitter. Those people can make that person who, who they hate, who they're jealous of, sick, have an accident, and other things, uh, headaches, dysfunctional. And this is what the evil eye is. It comes from people, and as he says, I think, further on, I'll go on. Uh, Elder, does the church recognize the evil eye? He says, yes, there is even special prayers for it. The evil eye works when a person speaks with envy and malice, with hate. And I've met a few of them, and I will tell you some experience as well. Many people, Elder, this is the person speaking to the Elder, Ask for eye pendants. You know, some Greeks, I don't know if the others do it, they wear this little blue eye. And um, they believe that this blue eye protects them from the evil eye. And then you've got some gypsies, which probably might sell special things, but then you've got also those women that I've spoke about many times, and they're in the newspapers and the magazines, and, you know, like we've said it before, these women who say that they can tell you whether someone's done something to you and then... You go there and then you've got to give them a lot of money, or slowly, slowly, and then they'll give you some type of charm, some type of pendant that will make you better. Instead of going to the church, people run to these places. Why do people run to these places? Why don't they go to the church? Because the demons make them go there. Now, some of you might say, I know someone who had something on them and they got better. So do I. I know people that actually went to these places and got better, temporarily. It was, a, it was just a little bit of time, maybe a few weeks, but usually 
once they have committed themselves, then this person asks for more and more money until some people have even sold their houses, been on Current Affair and all those other shows today, tonight, of people that have lost a lot of money to these places. Should babies have such things on them? No, they should not. You should tell the mothers that the only thing that the baby needs is a cross. Elder, if someone praises a nice piece of work and those who create it accept the praise with pride, then some harm happens. Is this work of the evil eye? So, you see, the Greeks used to say, um, if someone says, oh, say someone makes something. So someone has a nice garden and a person comes and goes, that garden is beautiful. In the, in the superstitious mind of these people, they go, oh, I better spit on the garden or tell the person to spit on the garden because it might give the garden the evil eye and all the plants die. And, um, or the person who did the garden can accept the praise that the person said with pride and then again something bad can happen. He goes, is that the evil eye in that case? And the elder says, no, that's not the evil eye. In this case, the spiritual laws are at work. Just the laws that, are, that exist in the world, which are called spiritual laws. God removes his grace from a man and some harm happens. When we fall into pride, God removes his grace and allows us to fall into something. Either into a sin, or some get sick, or whatever. This happens so that we can learn not to become proud. Because pride is the worst enemy of man. The devil fell from paradise because of pride. Adam and Eve fell because of pride. So we have to understand, as we'll read on with the elders' teachings, that pride is the root of the problem. And therefore, if that does happen to us, where someone praises you and you go, oh, you know, that you really get proud about it, and something happens then you should be thankful that, that that means God is actually taking care of you and you can actually see his hand in your life. What happens when a lot of people don't see his hand in their lives and they start to kick and get angry, why is this happening to me, why is this? And they, then all of a sudden they go and run to these women or men or whatever to go and have these special spells taken off them or whatever else they think when it just could be their own pride and their own sins. Just their own sins. If a person, as I said last week, if a person goes onto the internet, a father, for example, who's got children, and he goes onto the internet and looks at pornography all night, and then later on something happens to his children or some problems happen in the house, and then they, he says, oh, someone's done the evil eye, or someone's done a spell. No, no one's done the evil eye, no one's done the spell. It's just from your own sin of what you did. And then people might say, this is where some of you have not been here, we've already explained this, that you might say, so why is it the fault of the children that they should something happen to them because of the sin of the father or the mother? And I'm, I don't want to go into it because I, that was in last month's talk, but um, God does everything, allows everything for the salvation of the soul. And even if he does allow something to happen to a child, even if the child dies, as we'll see soon, it all has a special meaning. We have no right as the created, as little created people that we are, to judge 
God's judgment or God's ways. And this is, this is what's called demonic. This is influenced. These are, this is the worst thing when people start to say, and why does God do this, and why does he allow that, and why does he allow wars, and etc. We said it in the Akathis today about Russia. Because of the sins of the people, God allowed the atheists to come and take over the country. And what happened? They suffered, and they came out of it. And they were cleansed, and now we see Russia has become again quite a strong orthodox country. But it's cruel that God allowed that to happen. You know, that's really bad and we have to be, be, be careful because we can actually become enemies and fighters of God by doing this type of questionings and things like that. So, only those who have both envy and evil intentions and they are not many, have the power of the evil eye. He's, in this case, when someone praised this person's work and then something happened to him, he goes, no, no, that's just a praise. Someone can praise you. But when someone praises you with envy, with a lot of evil in the heart, oh, that's really nice, but they've got poison in their heart, yes, that can cause an effect on the person or on his work or on his family. However... Let's read on. Let's see what, because I might say things which I'd rather, hear, I'd rather let the elder say if it's simple. Um, those people who have this envy and evil within them when they say praises or whatever they do or jealousies, these are few people, and that's true. Let us say a woman sees a little child with its mother and thinks to herself with bitterness. Love that word. Because when I've met these people, I always say that you are bitter. You are full of poison because I've seen people that can do this. And as I said, it's only a few. Once I was in a car. I, I don't like discussing things of myself, but I have actually been reading lately that they said that sometimes you've got to do that because it's a bit more effective. And I've asked people and they say, oh, when you do speak about some of your experiences, it becomes more effective. Personally, if you listen to old talks of years ago, I would never talk about myself. I, don't, I didn't like it. I don't feel comfortable. However, for the benefit of um, people, I have decided lately to do say a bit more because people have said it's very effective. So, I was in a car once. And we were driving along. And I suddenly, sorry for the expression, I suddenly smelt something that was really bad. I said, something really smells in the car. I was with a, man, a, a husband, a wife that had a couple of children. And then um, she says, oh, I didn't change the nappy of the child. I was going to wait to our destination, which is in half an hour time, so that I can change the nappy. So meanwhile, she expected us to sit in the car without supplying us gas masks for half an hour <laughs> to actually tolerate the smell of her children's um, soiled nappies. And then the husband, which he shouldn't have done, he got really upset and kind of uh, told her off aggressively. So we had to stop the car and she changed the nappy and off we went again. And as we were driving along, I suddenly got sick. I felt like vomiting. It wasn't from the smell. smell had gone. I felt like vomiting. My, I got dizzy and I became really weak. 
And then I realised, because I know this particular person, which I found out more later on, I've realised that um, it was from her. She had it out for me because I didn't want to sit for half an hour to smell the nappies. And she has that ability. And she also has a couple of other siblings in her family which have the same ability. Sometimes it's in a family. Not everyone has that ability. It's not an ability to want. But she did. And I turned around and I said, what's happening? She goes, oh, I can't believe you felt it. Felt what? That I'm upset that you did this. And in other words, she did that to me. And she's done it to others. Now the question says, but Elder Paisio says, if you confess and commune, then the evil eye shouldn't actually take effect. So then why did it take effect on me, even though that effect was momentary? I just drank a bit of holy water, did my cross, and that was basically the end of it. I didn't have to go to um, Madam, you know, whatever her name is, down, down the street, and go and get oil mixed and get her to spit all over me so I can become better. It was no, that wasn't necessary. But... The question remains, why did, why did that allow it to happen to that anyway at all? And we'll continue on, I'll tell you the reason in a minute. So the evil eye is rare, only those who have both envy and evil intentions, which this person did have, and they are not many, have the power of the evil eye. Let us say a woman sees a little child yet with, her, with, its, with its mother and thinks to herself with bitterness, with poison, oh, why isn't this child mine? Why isn't this why? Does that try not belong to me? Why did God give it to her? She can actually bring harm to the child, causing it to lose sleep, to cry all the time, and suffer all on account of her malicious thoughts. And that's why people in villages and people and other people's work, when their child's sick and they say, oh, maybe someone's done something, then they run to these people. They don't run to the church. They run to these people. And if the child got really sick and died, she would be pleased. And you might say, oh, I don't think these things happen, apart from the evil eye, that people have got this much evil. But, you know, as a priest and experiencing people and things like that, uh, these things do occur. There are people that are really, really bitter and full of evil, unfortunately. It's up to them to repent, of course. In a similar way, someone else may see a calf. Now he's talking about village things. They might see a little cow, the village, and, and um, want to possess that cow. And in a short while, the animal dies. These things occur in villages, whether Russia, Serbia, Greece, etc., these things did occur. And as I said, these are a few things. Now, what happens if it happens to our... Well, I'll come to me in a minute. What happens if it happens to you people? You've got to be careful. Coincidentally, someone rang me up the other day from another state and started to discuss this matter and said that, oh, nothing's going right in my life. Everything I do, I muck up. Therefore, someone's done something on me. And it was interesting because I was going to talk about this today. So I allowed the person to speak and I had to ask many questions and found out that, you know, no one's done nothing on him, it's just himself, it's his pride. 
He does special fasts. He does special prayers. You know, he goes to church when he feels like it. He does fasts which are not part of the church. Like when there's a Christmas fast, he won't fast, but when the Christmas fast finishes, then he fasts. And stupid things like that. And that is what's called demonic pride. So I said to the person, you know, um, it's, don't, don't think anyone's anything to you. So that is, a, that is a point which there are people who do believe that every single thing that happens in their life is from some evil eye or someone's done magic on them. And that's why a lot of priests don't like to discuss these things. Well, I don't think we should not discuss it because some people might do that. We have to discuss it because some of you, even though you're in the church, might become confused. And in your times of sorrow and problems, someone might come along and say to you, oh, look, I know a woman who um, drips oil, like there was one that was dripping oil that was up at Canterbury, Belmont, I know where she was. <laughs> And um, people would go to her so she can take off these spells and evil eyes. If a priest does not do that, well, then he's failing to do his duty. It doesn't mean that because by discussing these matters, I'll say it again, that that means that we're going to make people to think, oh, all these problems. That people are going to start saying, I've got the evil eye, I've got this, I've got that. Some of you, having heard this, the thoughts might play with them and start to think like that. I have a solution, very simple. Drink some holy water, put a bit of holy oil on you. Go to confession if you haven't gone before. Go and commune. Get the priest to read some prayers for you. That's it. But once you go to a person, even out of ignorance, even out of curiosity, the church fathers are strict about this, and they say, once you've done this, you become, in Greek, what's called the menos, or the many, in English means you are tied, you become, uh, the demon has authority over your soul to torment you. Yes, we can, as I said last month, we can confess, and that's what should be done. You must confess that you have gone to these places. And God will forgive you for that. However, you have to understand that the demonic influence does not go easily. In most people, it stays with them for quite a lot of years, if not to the end of their lives. In other words, they become sick easily, they, have, they suffer from thoughts, they suffer from anger. There's a lot of things where these things occur. And that is a known fact that this influence does not go away. These people that have gone for curiosity or whatever have to struggle more than someone who's never gone. However, if that person who's gone and struggles and repents and struggles and really forces himself, receives a higher crown than those who have not got that much to fight with. A person who suffers and is really fighting the evil or the passions within themselves or the de demons or whatever, those people can become stronger. But it's not, that doesn't mean that you're going to run now to someone and get your palm read and come back so you can become special. It's not like that. It's a very 
very difficult journey and few, and I will say it again, few are those who actually remain in the struggle. Some people cannot take it so much, even though they've confessed and even though they've communed, but it's so intense at times, the struggle, depending on how much they went to these things, that it can be very hard to get rid of them. But he who endures will be saved. And that's the thing. I can't lie to you. I can't pretend and say, whatever you've done, you go, and then you just you can go to these places, do whatever you want, and just go and confess, and it's over. Because it's not over. You're forgiven, but the influence stays. Just be aware of that. And that's why a lot of people that have gone to magicians and all these type of places, astrologists, mediums, contacting the dead, and all these things, these people do have a lot of trouble later. In point of actual fact, even Elder Paisio says that the early church fathers regarded those who went to these places as a denial of Christ. You know, like we read about the, some people who were told to deny Christ during the Turkish times, during the communist times, during the Roman times, where people would say, deny Christ, deny Christ. And when they denied, then they were left alone. They became what's called apostates. Those people, when they wanted to re-enter the church again, were chrismated. In other words, not rebaptized. They were re-chrismated. They were given the myrrh to receive back the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is what Saint Nicodemus of Manathos says, that as someone who has denied Christ, even as a child out of ignorance, in other words, a child of two years old or one years old was taken from its parent and made Muslim, when that child ever finds out that he was once Orthodox and comes back to the Orthodox Church, he must be chrismated, even though he was not conscious that he denied Christ. So that's how strict it is. And Saint uh, Elder Paisius actually says that as well. Because it's so serious, that sin of going to these places is equivalent to the denying of Christ. So be aware of that as well. And as I said before, if you have ever gone to those places, don't despair, return, confess, repent and start your struggles. Don't go into despair and go, oh, I've lost myself. No one loses themselves. Elder Paisio says, if the devil was to repent at this moment, after all the damage that he's done, after all the destruction for these, all these thousands of years that he's, that, he's, that he's done on earth, God would forgive him like that. Keep that in mind. So when we fall into despair, when we've done a sin, and then we say to ourselves, oh, there's no forgiveness, etc., we must always say, but wait a second, it's a well-known fact, all the church fathers say, if the devil were to repent, he would be forgiven. So therefore, if he's forgiven, then how much us who are, we are not as guilty as him, as because he was an angel, we are human. Um, many times, however, a child may suffer and the mother herself may be to blame for this. Maybe the mother saw a skinny little child and once said, look at this, this child is all skin and bones, but with bitterness. All along she might have been thinking of how great her own child was while looking down on the other child. And now what she says with malice, with bitterness, with hate about the other child has happened to her own child. Sometimes it can backfire. 
and that child suffers without having done anything on account of the mother's fault. This is interesting. The child begins to wither away, becomes skinny, and so that the mother may be punished and it is withered in a way so that the mother may be punished and realise her mistake. Once the mother sees the child's getting like that, it says, oh, it's because of what I did, and repents. However, that child may die because of the sin of the mother. See, these are all alien things. Some of you would prefer to watch, you know, E.T. or Encounters, all these other space movies they've got, because you understand that better, because a lot of you watch these things or watched it from when you were young. But these, and, and no one gets angry and says, oh, what rubbish. Like a, a, a one-eyed thing coming down and all these stupidities that are on the cinemas and television. No one really gets angry and says that's stupid. Some people, people believe it. I had an electrician the other day that came to the monastery to fix something up and he, was, he got really angry with me because he says for sure 100% there are aliens on other planets. But when we hear things of the church, we might become angry and say, well, I don't believe and why is this and why is that and how can the child is dying and things like that. Listen to what the elder says. This child will die a martyr. The judgments of God are unfathomable. In other words, we cannot understand God's judgment. The child dies a martyr. What, is, um, what does that mean? It means the child is saved. Now, some of you say, I don't want my child to be saved. I want it to live and go to university and go and study and get married and have children and I want to have grandchildren. But that's if people have that idea of life, that means that they're not Orthodox Christians because the purpose of, of being an Orthodox Christian is salvation. And if this child is saved, even though it's because of the sin of the mother, then that's the main thing. And this is why... When people come to me and say, why this, why that, which I'm going to read something about that in a minute. Why this and why does that happen and why children die and why do people get sicknesses and why is there AIDS and why is this, this. And I ask them, what do you feel about salvation of the soul? And the usual answer is, huh? What's that? Or, yeah, you get saved or whatever. But that person does not really, he's not struggling for his, his or her salvation. And if they're not struggling for their salvation, therefore no explanations, you cannot explain anything. Because everything is understood when you, myself and yourselves, have as the top thing in our life the salvation of the soul. When that's there, everything makes sense. When it's not there, forget it. It's a whole different language. Back to myself. Why did that happen to me? And the answer is very simple. Because we sin continually. I can confess one day and sin the next day, sin the next minute. We all sin continually. We can commune and, and, and be filled with grace and within half an hour lose that grace because of our sins, because we judge, because we look at things we shouldn't look at, out of jealousy or anything, materialism, wanting things. It can be an, a million things which happen to us. So therefore, 
we are vulnerable continually. So therefore, in my opinion, why that was allowed to happen was because I wasn't at that stage, at that moment, I was not spiritually strong. I could have made fun of someone. I could have um, had a, a, a jealous thought. I could have had another bad thought. I could have had anything. But the difference is between a worldly person and a person that's in the church is the person realises when these things happen, repents, can, as I said, just you can take holy water, take holy oil. It depends on the person's spiritual life. The main thing is if it doesn't go away, even after you've taken holy oil and taken water and things like that, you just get a priest to read you some prayers and that's it. Oh, sorry, and make sure that we've confessed our sins. We all have sinned and that's why. So what the elder says is correct. The ideal, if a person is confessed and the person's commune, and that person is able to keep a lot of that, then he's protected. But not all of us can do that. And I believe that only a few can keep the grace with themselves. Most of the time we lose it because of our sins. And that's it. So that's the answer. Very simple. I'm full of sins and therefore that's why that thing was allowed to happen. But I didn't have to run to, you know, Madame, Madame Con Artist to go and get... Um, uh, some special uh, to get all spit all over me and um, and go and get a special prayer. I don't I, I don't need that. You can do your cross. You can take holy water. You can take holy oil. You go to confession, etc. etc. Et That's it. Simple as that. You don't have to go crazy. And go. Someone's done the evil eye. Someone's done this. Someone's done this. Someone's done that. Someone's done that. And also to keep away from those type of people. Now you got to be careful because sometimes people start to accuse others and say, I think she does that, and I think he does that, and I think this, and I think... You've got to be careful to make sure that it is correct what you're saying before you... And it's always good to speak to the priest. It's always good to pray to God, ask him for his enlightenment to know, just in case the demons come along and make you to hate someone. You know, like I hear people say, I think someone's done a spell on me, and I think it was my... My sister-in-law's, mother-in-law's, brothers—I don't know where, where the whole thing is going on—and and I say, but how do you know? Sometimes they're correct; most of the times they're wrong. So that was that one. Then we go to this page here. Uh, just just as a recap, what I already said. Elder says. Magicians don't have power and their magic and demonic energies cannot affect Christians. They can only in the case of A, a dishonest confession, two, here's one, an unjust treatment of others. In this case, they give the devil power to act. If we unjustly treat someone, if we as well as judge someone, cause someone harm, which happens all the time, I believe, then we are open. We have, and that's why it's good that God allows these things to happen sometimes to make us wake up and say we're not really going well and to fix ourselves up. So remember as well, um, Saint Eustina, in the life of Saint Cyprian Eustina, she had magic done on her to fall in love with this man. 
And she suffered a lot, but it didn't, it, she was knocked around. She didn't just sit there and all what the, the spells that were done on her just all bounced off. She actually was knocked around. She actually felt lust, sexual lust, for the person who'd done the magic for her to be attracted to him. And she was, as it says in the life, inflamed, full on inflamed, to fall with that person, even as she found him before the spell was done, revolting. Plus he was an unbeliever. And yet, this goes against when people say, oh, nothing happens, nothing happens. You get knocked around. But the thing with these evil eyes or spells or whatever is they can't accomplish what they want. And even if you're not properly leading a life, when these things happen with God's permission, then it's a really good opportunity to go and run and fix yourselves and myself up, which is what happened in the car with that example. Another one, this one Elder Paisio speaks about an example of the elder who baptised him, which was Elder Arsenios, which is one of the books that he wrote, The Life of Elder Arsenios. He says, Sanya Senos was very strict about certain matters. There, there was a newly wed bride in Farasa. Farasa is where, Saint, where Elder Paisios was born, and the priest of that village was this elder, Elder Arsenios, in Turkey, in, in uh, Ajamona. And she had a provocative, colourful scarf, and it says in the Smyrna style. Smyrna was a city. You know, we've got in where the Greeks used to live over there in um, Turkey, in the, uh, what's called Asia Minor, in, um, they had their um, villages that were a bit more strict, very pious, but usually in cities, people are more loose. And this woman was wearing a scarf, which in these days, this is, we're talking about, uh, 60, 70, 80 years ago, this woman had a scarf which the women in the village didn't wear and it, was nothing, it wasn't a scarf that was becoming. Now, of course, everything goes, but let's just look at the strictness in those days. The saint reprimanded her repeatedly, telling her to throw away this, this scarf, which wasn't appropriate, and dress modestly like the rest of the women in the village. But she would not listen to the priest. Now, of course, that's common now for people not to listen to the priest. And that's why we have a lot of disasters, because people don't listen to the priest. And there's not much fear when people do not listen to the priest. Anyway, this silly woman, she didn't listen to this great man who also was a man that was known to be holy. That's even worse. It wasn't just a, a priest who might be wordly and might, they might say some stuff where you kind of say to yourself, well, it's a bit hard to listen to him. But this priest was, it was um, strict and he was a holy man. One day when Saint Arsenio saw her wearing the same scarf, he said in a strict tone, now some of you are going to get you know, a bit knocked around, and that's the purpose of the talk, to be a bit knocked around, to make you think. And he said to her in a strict tone, I don't want Frankish disease in Farasa, in the village, in other words. Frankish means Catholic. That's the Greeks to call them the 
Frangi, but you know, Frankish diseases in Farasa, Western ideas, Western practices. Be warned that if you don't do as you're told, the children you bear will not live long after they are baptised. They will become angels and you will not enjoy any of them. But she did not heed to Saint Arsenios' warning and indeed she lost two of her little angels. Only then did she come to her senses, threw away the multicoloured scarf and went to Saint Arsenios to ask for forgiveness. Now this would be very difficult for people to understand in this day and age. That all this trouble over a scarf. But you have to realise that in those days it was looked at as bad. It wasn't something that was done. She was going against the norm. Now today, people wear those scarves. Does that mean they're gonna, the children are going to die? No, because unfortunately it's, been, it's, it's, it's come into society and people that don't even consider it to be wrong and maybe, maybe it's um, not even an issue anymore because times have changed. I mean, there's no canon in the church that says you're not allowed to wear a colourful scarf. But in those days, it was a practice. So, like for today, people come to church. Let's look, let's look at something that even in today's modern slack times, what someone? Uh, smoking. Still, at least, thanks God, we haven't got to the stage where people can come into the church and have a little cigarette while the service is going on. That's still bad. And even the, the worst priest would say, stop, and get angry. Stop, you're not allowed to smoke. And if that person persists, that something could happen to him because it's really obvious no one does it. So we have to understand there's different times. However, in maybe in 100 years, let's hope not, but let's just say in 100 years' time, it's practice. Actually, they used to have... Um, some places in ancient times, even a few hundred years ago, there were some places in Europe where, in Orthodox churches, where they used to have seats near windows and people used to smoke in the, in the church. So these slack time. Anyway, we let's not go there because we just... Um, there's always been bad practice, but let's just say in Australia, no one smokes in the church. And if someone does it, then that means that person is on purpose showing impiety towards God. That's wrong. But let's just say in a hundred years' time it's practice, like it was in those old days. It's a practice that people do smoke. And all of a sudden someone comes along and says, oh, don't smoke. It's, it's, if it's a practice and everyone's doing it, then that person, his conscience doesn't, doesn't bother him. In this case, this woman knew that she was provoking the priest, provoking God, provoking the village, and therefore that's why that punishment occurred. So don't go around in a fanatical way and go and stand at the church, and when people come in with colourful scarves and say your babies are going to die, and all these other stupid things that people take the wrong way. You see, that's why I said it to you on purpose. Someone might say, oh, why even read that? To put things into context so people can understand. For example, some fanatical people that are into this, into the, that, that believe that, they are, that God sent them to be defenders of the faith, that they're the ones that are against ecumenism, for example. And then they read in a book, that uh, a saint said to, um, the, uh, to a Catholic man, oh, you know, you're a, you're a devil. 
the um, the Pope is the Antichrist, the Pope is a devil, this, and, and we do have examples of that in the church because of the time, the, the context. For example, just before the fall of Constantinople, the, um, the Greeks believed that they needed the Catholics to come and help them to defend them from the Turks. Therefore, there was not these negative expressions against Catholicism. A bit more lenient. And then there was other times, especially during the times when we were under the Turks, when the Greeks and the Serbs and all that were under the Turks for 400 to 500 years, we had, we, the, um, the Greeks had nothing to do with the Catholics, didn't want them, a lot of, except in certain islands, and therefore their theology, their expression against these people were more strict, especially, as I said, in the islands where some Greeks were converting to Catholicism because of um, the Catholics were tricking them and making them convert. Then we have some Greek uh, elders who spoke up really strict and says the, the, the demonic and this and this and this and that. Now, we are in Australia. Again, we live in another country. You can't just go and go around and say that the Pope is the Antichrist and this and this and things like that. Because we... And it's the same as the Greeks when they lived under the, the um, Arabs, under the Muslims. Very rare. St. John Damascene, one of the greatest saints of the Orthodox Church, he actually became, as a lay person before he became a monk, second in charge in Damascus. I think it was from Damascus. St. John Damascus. He, he was second in charge. First was the, the, the Turk, the Arab there. I think it was Arab. And then under him was, the, was, was him. If he was so strict and if he was such a holy orthodox person, how could he be second in charge of, this, of these uh, Muslims who were in some times uh, persecuting orthodox Christians? Did St. John Damascus say, you're a devil, you're a beast, you're demonic? You're this, you didn't say that. Why? Because they lived under them. And it didn't go, and you provoke them. Sometimes, some saints spoke up and could have went into the, into the mosques and said that Muhammad is an imposter, etc., etc. But that was few people who were called by God to do that. And they had to get permission when they used to go to Mount Athos to prepare. That's talk three, four, and five. When they went to Mount Athos and, some, and, the, and prepare themselves, some elders said, no, I don't, you're not, not going to go over there and, and do that. And some elders said, okay, now you're ready, you can go. But these are exceptions. So we are living in a Western country. You don't go around and say these things, like Protestants are this and Catholics are this and all this type of stuff. Doesn't, it doesn't go. We can do it in the same, like we can do it, in a, in a different way, which is a more diplomatic way, which is that the Orthodox Church, we believe, is the true church, and that the, po and that the Catholic Church has many errors, and historically, theologically, we do that. Now, St. Cosmas, when he went around Greece to tell the people, don't become Catholic or don't become Muslim, he... He didn't say much about the theological and the history. 
He just said straight out, the Pope's an antichrist. That's it. Don't go there. He's an antichrist. The Catholic religion is this, this and this. The Times. So, the colourful scarf is the Times. Now we go to um, this part, which is... Oh, sorry, are there any questions about that? Are people upset with the um, people dying and all these type of things? Is it upsetting? Anyone want to say anything? I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of you would be upset. Some of you maybe have never heard these things. Yes, any questions so far? Yep. Okay. I've got a bad habit and people complain that when you ask a question, people on the talks that listen to the audio, they complain that they haven't heard the question, so I'll try and do that. Yep, questions? If you remember the past talks that I've that I've done, I've said that there that there is a problem with dreams. Dreams can be divine, dreams can be demonic, dreams can be natural. I said there's a problem with apparitions when you see visions. It can be demonic. It can be uh, uh, from God, but it can also be natural. What's a natural vision? Well, people are in the desert and they're thirsty and they see trees and they see fountains and they see water. It's not true. People that are under influence of drugs, whether legal or illegal or whatever, they can see things. It's not true. But the point here, whether it's the visions, whether it's the dreams, and whether it's now what you're saying, which is the sicknesses and problems, it's very hard to discern what's what. That's why we had the elders who were able, with God's gift because of their humility, to be able to discern, to say, that's that, that's that, that's that. Now, the priests, including myself, a lot of times don't have that ability. It's different. When we're dealing with things that are straight out, like canons of the church, dogmas of the church, it's clear. These things, it's what's called spiritual discernment it's a gift which as we said last week last month and the month before for these talks is what elder Paisios had so when someone goes to him and goes oh someone's done something to me and then he would listen a bit and talk and then through his humility god would enlighten him and he would say yes no this or someone would come and say i I smelt something in my room and it was like incense, but there was no incense lit, for example. And then and the elder would then be able to listen to it. You know, but if someone came to me and said that, it would be very hard for me to say whether it's what, what it's coming from. And the way I get around that is I try to ask questions, I try to work out things, but the main thing is, is to tell the person to keep on... It's good that they said it, le- because that, 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 that's humility, and wherever there's humility, God gives grace. And to read some prayers, commemorate them in the liturgy, and usually things come out uh, after. 
But it is very difficult that the question is good. Um, passions, you know, where are the passions coming from? Is it from medication? If someone says, I'm getting angry, I become really enraged, and it's a sin. Yes, it's a sin. But where is it coming from? Is it to do with the person, as, Saint, as the elder said, is it do because they're proud? Is it because of some other sins? Is it because they're sick and there's some physiological reason? Regardless, of course, we still have to repent because we're still guilty. But, you know, to know these things. And this is where a lot of the spiritual fathers of today, they confess people, they try to help people, but they don't have the ability to be able to get really into it. Depends on the spiritual maturity of the person, etc. Um, and that's why people ran. You know, people had their spiritual fathers in in the world. They go and confess, say their sins, receive absolution, receive some guidance, and up to the level that the person could would guide them and help them. Sometimes the priest might have been a village priest, doesn't know much at all. But God sees the humility of the person going and even if the priest made a mistake or even if the priest just didn't pick up what was correct, that God looks at the person's humility and will rectify the problem. However, these people always used to go to monasteries to find elders who can go deeper into their problems um, and that's what usually happens. Now, in our case, we might not have the opportunity to go to elders. There's not many of them around. We might have to go to Mount Athos or Russia or whatever. Uh, there are some. Sometimes it's hard to find. Who are they? What's happening? We also have the books of the elders, which can help us. But we have to be careful because we can begin to read these books and interpret them the way we want. That's another danger, which we'll go on to more. Does that answer your question? It's hard to discern. There are signs usually with holy with holy things the person gets better and if the person gets better then a lot of times then it might have been demonic however make it more com complicated the demons can also play around with the person and make them sick and then put into their eye into their mind the idea and say oh you know um do such and such like um do three prostrations for example and then you get better, and the person gets better because the demon stops bothering him, and then the person starts becoming proud that it was that there's a lot of things there. This is where the elders had that gift to break through all these deceptions. So we've got to be careful, and that's what we're going to go on with more on this. Now, while we haven't known Christ or haven't even come. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. I personally never believe in it because I believe in going through a magician. There's a cycle. If I want like a miracle to happen to me, I have to go to a saint or a holy person. People they have to go to the magician to do the evil. To do the evil. Basically, if I look at somebody's property or whatever and I desire it, how can I harm that person? I don't have the power to harm. Unless if I have a contact. Plus, opens the debate and you touch the topic where if I want to start thinking even of people like if I'm touched, some, something happened to me, I say, oh, this person looked at me once. I'm supposed to think more, love my enemy, not to think, to start searching my mind, who looked at me the other day, 
would it be other day? I suppose to, to think more positively, more in a loving way of other people. Not to start searching who looked at me and who did that to me. It opens our thoughts to either thinking of others. So there's a bad consequences comes from it. Plus there's God's providence. If I look at somebody, who am I to really harm that person? I know that them and demons, mm -hmm. we know from the story of Job, they had the, the permission of God to do it. Not my eye. You know, it, it's so you're trying to say that, are you trying to say that um, it shouldn't be said because it makes people get confused? Yeah, I mean it opens my mind to either thinking of others. Well, ah, um, our friend here is saying that um, discussing these matters, which is what I said before, it can open the minds up of some people um, and usually... It can happen to a lot of people, but um, it can open up their minds to start having thoughts that um, did that person do something, that person did this and that person did that. The the problem that I've got with, what's your name, sorry? Iman's Iman. um, comment is that um, this teaching is part of the church and we can't deny the teaching in the case that some people won't un that will get confused now there are some even today who might become confused but i say from my experience that the majority will not and one thing and if they do get a bit confused at the beginning due to inexperience that after a while they will learn not to trust themselves notice that they're wrong not to judge others, etc. But the main thing is, which is a problem which a lot of Orthodox Christians are having, is that people are running to these places. So by going along your train of thought, one would say then that um, we are making it more, more, more of an opportunity for people to fall into deception. You may know, because of your commit, because of your uh, participation in the church life and, and, and going to the church and things like that. But there are a lot of people that don't. They're confused. They see something on TV, as I've said in other talks, which a lot of you have missed out, but you know, when you look at those people like the John Edwards person who talks to the dead and all these things, these things, if you don't know the church's teaching, is believable because these people are communicating. They're not, and they're saying things that is only known to the person. If people don't know about that, then they're going to get confused. So there is a philosophy, I'm not being, I don't mean to be negative to yourself, but there is a philosophy within the Orthodox Church of certain people who have what's called the love bug. Now, the love bug is that everything is love, and everything is love, and love, and love, and love. But also in the Gospels and in the Epistles of St. Paul and the Holy Fathers, etc., they speak about love, but they also speak about spiritual warfare. And the spiritual warfare that they speak about is to do with demons and these proper problems. Orthodox Christians absolutely need to know about it because we are losing many souls because of the ignorance that exists. There are some clergy who believe that their job is to stand in church and speak only about love. Because of that, in the name of love, they are losing so many people. 
So many people have been lost because they do not know what's going on. And I answered your question before when I said, I said, yes, some people have, you know, that are a bit weak in the mind, which we all are. And it, when they hear this, they can start having suspicions. They must learn to deal with that. And uh, in addition to that, your point is also in one part, which is, which, which is good, is that I, um, when I see, I'm not so about yourself, but when I see someone who's mentally weak, and suffers from obsession thoughts and things like that. I don't discuss these things. I don't know here who's got that. I don't know here who's got it. But I can't stop to say it because one or two people are going to go off and go out today and think, and, and, and you know, even when people heard Christ's teachings, I'm not Christ, I'm trying to transmit the teachings of the church, but when people heard Christ's teachings, they got it completely wrong. Now, one person went to... Um, he was an elder, and he took his disciple, and they went to Elder Anthony. And Elder Anthony started to go into deep theology about certain things. This person that was there, not the elder, but the disciple, heard the teachings of Elder Anthony, some deep teachings. I don't know what they were. And because he was proud, and because he was an idiot, he actually, um, because when we're proud, we're idiots, all of us. When I'm proud, I'm an idiot. We're all idiots. We are stupid when we fall into this pride and think, what, that we are special, that we're this, we're that. So this idiot, he actually was there in the um, cell of Elder Anthony. And when he heard that teaching, which was beautiful teaching, deep teaching, but not for him, he went off. And became, I don't know who he was exactly, he became a creator of a heresy. And that was because he heard, Elder, he heard the teaching of Elder Anthony. Now I can say, if Elder Anthony was here, I can say, sorry, St. Anthony, I can say to him, you know, St. Anthony, you know, you should have discernment because you've got a gift of God to know. You should have known that by speaking in front of this person that this person's going to cause damage. What would he say to me? It's the same as me. I'm not an elder, but the same question. I have to do my duty. If I don't do my duty, then I'm going to have problems because I don't know in here. Some people will take it wrong. That's true. Some people will take it wrong, get confused, and come out of it later on. That's okay. Some people may take it wrong and go on a complete, um, uh, completely off. But that's what Christianity is about. Everything, like the Holy Trinity. Why did God teach Holy Trinity? Why did God have to bring the dogma of the, Holy, of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit? Muslims won't even approach. A lot of Muslims will not approach the Christian church because they say we believe in three gods. Why did God allow the dogma of the Holy Trinity? Why? Why couldn't he just come down and say that, that you know, God is one, which he is? But why bring up the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, which confuses people? So Muslims and other people, they say, don't become Christian because they are not monotheistic to believe in one God. They're polytheistic. They believe in three gods. Should we ask God the answer to that? So therefore, the teachings are there and we offer them to the people. I can sit here and talk about lesser things. Not, not, I could sit here and, say, and talk about love and talk about the Jesus prayer, and talk about etc, etc. I bet, my bottom dollar, that there will be people who will 
become confused even with that and go away and become deceived. Not mentioning the devil, not mentioning the evil eye, not mentioning sorcery, not mentioning the demonic warfare that we go through, not mentioning any of those things. Nothing to do with that. Love and the name of Christ, which as the fathers say, that when we do on our prayer rope, we have our prayer rope and we do Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy, and we have the God's love and, 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 and. I tell you that there'll be some people here that will go away and start to shut themselves up in their homes and start to do the prayer and can fall into deception. Many in Manathos, some monks did that. They did it when they were proud and they jumped off cliffs, destroyed themselves. Others ripped their, their um, if you read the Yerondikor, they ripped their, because they say oh, they want to be a martyr. You know, so what do we do? I agree but, I mean, I'm talking about the evil eye of a person to person. And this is, it's hard to So did you, so just so I get it right, you're asking me that, are you saying that I shouldn't bring it up because yeah. it can conf cause confusion? Yeah, because I, I believe that the magicians, they have power for the devils to really harm people. I mean, there's no doubt about this. Mm -hmm. But the, the human side of it, like, I look at a person, I like their car, their house, and... He does, he does talk about positive thinking, which is good, but in the same book, he does speak about these things. And he talks about the woman with the scarf. Like for me, why bring up the woman with the scarf? Now, if someone reads that, if someone buys that book and reads the example of the scarf, remember it says here, with pain and love. So it's all about love, and the elder does speak about a lot about love. But he brings up this thing about this scarf and these children dying, etc., etc. Why does he bring it up? And if I didn't explain it, a lot of people wouldn't have really would not understand it. People can become scandalized, etc. But I tried to explain, and I spoke about 20 minutes on that, speaking about um, times and, gen and the, the times we live in, to explain we've got to be careful when we read things. Some people read in the canons, a bishop who preaches heresy is not a bishop. Because of that, they go and make their own churches. Because that's what it says in the canons. But that in the context of what? They're not a bishop. They're not a proper bishop and then they're not teaching. But they've still got the grace of, of, of um, the, 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 the priesthood until the synod defrocks them. It's like people say to their mothers, when their mothers are not acting like proper mothers, and they say, you're not my mother. Well, they're still the mother. But you're not my mother. You're not acting like a mother. I don't treat you like a mother. It's the same with the bishop. If he preaches bareheaded heresy, yes. We say he's not a bishop. He's not acting according to the way he is. But he still has the grace of the bishop. So we cannot take out... Uh, that's right. I did pick that up myself. Elder Paisius in that part of the book speaks about positive thoughts. And that was excellent. I found that fantastic. And as I go on, he speaks about that, he speaks about that. But I mean, if you go here, at the back of the book, which I hope, if you, I hope you people um, buy this book, 
Oh, what he talks about women that wear makeup. What he says about women that wear pants. Um, it basically doesn't let them in the monasteries. What he says about um, parents who don't take care of their children. What he talks about priests who don't do their jobs, etc. What he talks about um, a priest, for example, it says in there, if a priest doesn't wear his rasa, don't get a blessing from him. That doesn't look like positive thinking to me. But the point is, I think that proves my point. Yes, your name? Uh, Evangelos. Yep. That's a good summary. So, evangelists, the question is, do we discuss it in this type of atmosphere or do we not because of the fear that people might get confused? Mm-hmm. Which I explained. So, yeah. Um, I have a story of like, from someone directly went to this who had a, uh, a firstborn and everything was going on in his life. And through God's providence, he ended up on that app as well as Missouri. So he went there and he had all the jokes for Dr. Betty who told him, You've got this in this happened to you. So the elder of Vatopedi said to him, of Manathos, that you've got something on you. Yeah, I'm not sure, are you saying that the evil eye doesn't exist? The evil eye, I, I, I don't think so. Person to person, no. Okay, evil well... Is, it's called evil eye. Evil means the evil, when they look at somebody, they know this person is wrong spiritually, yeah. they want to envy him, they want to put him down to... To see? somebody and I have stories somebody looked at me and all of a sudden I had an accident I'm still not sure what you want to say what I want to say is I'm asking because the, the question is is there such thing as an evil eye in your opinion okay we note your opinion we note your opinion people heard it people heard myself 
people heard what the elder has to say, and now people can go and um, think. And that's, you, you made your opinion thing. I disagree because um, of my own personal experience, plus what I've read, and also the fact that in the prayer book, uh, in the Orthodox prayer book, uh, it says here at the back, And we'd like to finish after that because we've got a lot of things to do. F here, uh, uh, 161. So we have here a nice little prayer. And the prayer in this book here talks about, here it is, prayer for deliverance from the evil eye. Let us pray to the Lord, Lord have mercy. O Lord, I didn't want to read it, but I'll read it. O Lord our God, the King of the ages, almighty and pandocrato, you create and transform all things by your will alone. You change the sevenfold furnace and the flame in Babylon into refreshing dew and preserved your three youths safe. You are the physician and healer of our souls and the security of all those who hope in you. We entreat and beseech, banish, expel, and cast away from your servant, name, whoever the person is, Every diabolical action, every satanical attack, assault, every evil influence and harm and the spell of the evil eye caused by malicious and evil people. And if this has occurred because of beauty or handsomeness or prosperity, in other words, success, or jealousy or envy or the evil eye, master lover of humanity, stretch forth your mighty hand and powerful and sublime arm, and in your watchful care, look upon this your servant, and visit him, and the priest blesses, and grant with him or her, with an angel of peace, a mighty guardian of body and soul, who will rebuke and expel from him or her every evil design, every sorcery, and the spell of the evil eye of corrupting and embold, underline, and make it a bigger font, envious people, jealous people in other words, so that your servant defended by you may sin with thanksgiving, the Lord is my helper and I shall not be frightened, what shall men do to me and again I shall fear no evil for you are with me and you are God my strength, a mighty counsellor, prince of peace, father of the age to come, yes O Lord our God deliver your creation and save your servant from all influence and harm caused by the spell of the evil eye and protect him or her from all evil through the intercessions of a most blessed, glorified Lady Thodos, Ever Virgin Mary, and the luminous archangels and all your saints, amen. But that's good because I wasn't going to read it, but at the end it was good that I read it because um, case closed. That's the end of it. Yep. As I, okay, oh, that's a good point. A lot of times when I tell these people what, what they're doing, uh, they say, I don't believe I'm doing that. A lot of times they're not, they don't believe they're doing it. Yeah, they... Mm. Look, it exists, it's in the minority, 
and and we have to be aware of it. There's prayers for it. Whoever says it doesn't exist, that's up to them, but that's part of the church. Nicholas, last person. Oh, I just want to add part of that. In the book, Confronting the Devil. Confronting the Devil. He has a whole section on the evil eye. Yeah, um, it speaks about that. It says that um, when you think with anything jealousy and all that, because Satan and the demons actually feel that same, they have this malicious envy. And you become one with him. You become one with them, and they actually want to help you. So they actually go and they, and, and they do all that. It's, it's like a channel they use. It's like that's correct. You, you connect with them. And by the, they feel the same thing and by the way, um, on that on that point, I did give out this book a while ago, and I know there's a lot of new people. Even though I've got it for sale, that doesn't matter. I've got a few left. I gave all these books out, which I purchased from overseas. Um, Confronting the Devil, Magic and the Occult, and I gave them out for free. And whoever didn't get them is welcome. I've got about, um, probably that's about enough for the new, the new people, whoever wants. There's seven left, and you are welcome. Just ask me at the end. And um, this book was quite a very good seller in Greece. And I'm not the type of person, because there are some priests who will talk about this continually. And uh, if you listen to my talks, because I think we're up to number 17 or 18, you go through them and you will not hear much references to these things. I, I talk about it here and there enough for people to know, but I don't go on and on about it because of what our friend said here, that it can make people just become too much preoccupied with it. But at the same time, I will never, ever deny speaking about something where I see as a priest, and I'm sure Father sees it as well, and see people who are being lost to these things, orthodox Christians, and a lot of people have go to these places. And people who are even in the church for years, when something goes wrong in their life and their faith is being tested, where they believe that they were really righteous people and holy people, they actually um, run to these places. Here's one in Greece for you. A priest's wife. A priest's wife went to a magician because something was wrong with her child. A priest's wife. Now, that is pretty bad. There was a priest's wife here uh, in Australia. Uh, not necessarily who it is, not important. Who actually believed that there's good ghosts and bad ghosts. And she believed that there was a house in Summer Hill which had good ghosts and bad ghosts. She's a priest's wife and she was telling people this. And a lot of people who get sick, people that go to church, even chanters at times, I've known, who have gone and bought tickets to go to the Philippines in the old years because there were some people there that would put their hand in and go into your guts and I don't know what they were doing there and supposedly taking things out and then getting better and people were going there. Church people. And I'm going to sit here and say nothing. That's impossible. Um... That's it for that part. Uh, we have a break now, and we'll be back in about um, five minutes. You're welcome to have coffee, tea, bonox, whatever's over there, um, and juices and things like that. In the old talks, we used to actually do sometimes three hours straight. So you people are lucky. You came in at the time when we have these breaks because um, 
even though a lot of people used to say, I don't feel it was three hours, I feel it was only one, but the break is good, and plus these chairs are a bit uncomfortable. So these two little points that come again from the elders' teachings, and very important for us, especially when we first come into the church, or when we first become more active in the church, there is a fear of this, and he explains. While we haven't known Christ, or haven't even come close to him, we dare look after the salvation of other people. We should look after our own repentance. Let's leave to God the care of other people, since we are not spiritually mature, as his providence looks after the whole creation. Why did I bring that up? Because today, this is a problem which occurs, is that there are many people who are zealots, who start becoming more interested in the church, and then, because of the pride that's in us, they begin to believe that they have been sent by God to go and make other people repent, or change other people, or tell people how to live. And Elder Paisios, because he confronted a lot of these people, obviously because a lot of thousands of people came to him, but in my little experience, I've also confronted people like that. And we all tend to do it, especially when we first come in the church, where we're more, where we've got zeal, as St. Paul says, but not according to knowledge. And people can become really, really proud and lose themselves. People who do this also can go into a very serious um, mistake whereby they begin to judge on matters of dogma and canons. Some people walk around with the, in Greek it's called the pidalion, in English it's called the rada, which is the book of canons, and read it like they're reading a novel and read through all these canons and then begin to interpret them and look at what the different priests are doing and say they shouldn't be doing this and shouldn't be doing that and causes problems and can cause schisms. And the elder says that a person needs, especially in the beginning of his spiritual life, to look at his repentance or her repentance. St. Paul, who became the greatest preacher, if you read his um, epistles, when he saw the light and he became blind and in, on the road that he, where, where he was and God spoke to him and then he converted, he went missing for about three years. Where did he go? Damascus, I think, and other places. Where did he go? Why? He, that's a very good example for us. He didn't repent, supposedly become, um, uh, become orthodox, and all of a sudden then run and start preaching to others. But he actually went away for three years to repent of his sins to and to spiritually prepare himself. And then he came back into the world and began to preach. A lot of people today, they don't do that. I remember an, um, an, um, uh, an experience once with someone who repented. And then they began to want to um, do some type of missionary work. And he, and, and he did do something. I won't say what, because I don't want it to work out what exactly it is. It's not important. He wanted to do something. And he did do something, which helped some people. Fair enough. But then he came to me and I said to him, okay, you've done what you've done. Okay, now 
calm down, lay low, start concentrating on your spiritual life because when you do these things, you become distracted. Start going into yourself and start leading an inner life. And then he went against that um, advice and he rang up someone from Greece and the person in Greece told him, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you should go ahead and don't listen to him because he doesn't know much. Which is true, I don't know much. But nevertheless, that's um, what he told him and he just went ahead and later on this person became quite ferocious against me and then he started to um, speak very, very negatively, etc., etc. And he, lo he lost himself. At the end, he actually was saying that um, that the Coptic Church, that the Fourth Ecumenical Council was a mistake, etc., etc., and this and that. So that he actually went quite off. Why? Because we need time to settle down, find ourselves, and do spiritual struggle. And that's where the elder is saying that this is a very big problem which occurs in the Orthodox Church. Or because someone repents, it doesn't mean automatically that they are Mr. Orthodox. It doesn't mean that they're Mrs. Orthodox or Ms. or whatever they want to say if they're feminist. There, there is um, a, a danger of falling into deception. The demons, sorry, but I have to mention that, are into working on people who are not spiritually attuned to even their own sins, etc. It is very egotistical, says the elder, to believe that you are able to correct other people. I'll give you another example. As I said, as I, said I don't like giving experience of myself, but this is a very good example. Once, many, many years ago, I was a lay person. And by the way, just in case you might think I don't take my own advice, after a number of years, when I first entered the church, after a number of years, I spoke to someone once and they said, um, oh, can I get a few other people and can you, you know, speak to us about orthodoxy? And I said, okay, if you want, but that was, you know, after a number of years. So um, these people came to my place and this weasel, somehow weaseled in and wasn't invited and he came and he sat there. The reason why I say he was a weasel because he came in as if he was, um, you know, going to rob a bank or something. So he came in and he sat down and he was listening to the talk. Anyway, like I do now, I kind of turn off from what's going on and I just concentrate on the talk and I spoke to these people, they asked questions, etc. I was a lay person. Later on, the weasel comes back, um, like, I don't know, days later, and he said to me that I have to cease speaking because I'm not teaching the right thing. I said, and what exactly didn't I teach? But he wouldn't tell me. He just says, you mustn't speak at all. This person was a um, Jehovah Witness. He used to be a Jehovah Witness. And he changed. But, like I said before, he changed and suddenly he became Mr. Mr. Orthodox, that's it. So as soon as he changed, he became Mr. Orthodox, straight away, and he started preaching to people and telling people all these things and going, yap, yap, yap. And I said to him um, that, you know, even though you do know the Bible quite well because you used to be a Jehovah Witness and they learn the Bible quite a lot, but you know it in the wrong way. And, um, and plus I said, well, 
you know, you're saying to me that I should stop, which is fair enough. He rang up also a priest that I knew in Greece, and he went to other priests. He actually went into the expense of ringing up long distance to some priest that I knew in Greece to get that priest to um, tell me not to talk. I don't know. Anyway, so I said to him, um, oh, I don't know what the problem is. I said, um, and I pointed to my library in the, in the room over there, because he was in that, came to the house, and I pointed to the library over there and I said, oh, I've got, basically I try just to transmit whatever I, you know, read in the books and things like that. And the person went into a frenzy, began to shake, and he started to say, those books, those books, and, uh, you know, I actually became like a bit possessed. And um, he said to me, you must stop. And I said to him, uh, why? I'm not gonna, I said, if a priest tells me to stop, yes, but I'm not going to listen to you. And then I said to him, look, I think you better go. And then I did something which was wrong, which was bad, because that was in, you know, a bit young and um, still, still I'm doing things wrong then, but then I did other, other wrong things. We, we, as we mature, we, we, we make, you know, we learn about mistakes. And I had in the front, as he was leaving, I had in the front house there a cross. And I said to him, does that bother you, the cross? Because I know that the Jehovah Witnesses you get really bothered with the cross. And, um, and I said to him, I think that deep down you're still a Jehovah Witness. You persist in coming and saying the same thing, just like they do. You know when they come to your place? And they come, and they come again, and they come again, and they come again. They're like rock willers, you know those dogs? They just, just grab on, and they won't let go. That's the thing with, um, with this person. Just kept on going, and going, and going, and going, and going. And I said to him, look, go, finished. And um, he became a very great enemy. But the point here, what I'm trying to say is that he was a Jehovah Witness, and then he was baptised, and then he became... Super Orthodox, Mr. Orthodox, you see? This is wrong. And these are the mistakes that occur, like the other fellow who, who I told you. And a lot of people. This is one of the main problems of the church as well, is this thing of people converting, changing, and becoming like this. And that's why the elder had that experience from people. As I said, I've had a little experience from it. But he had a lot of experience because he dealt with thousands of people. That would come to him. And one of the main problems would be ego, pride. I thought that was very good. And that's what we should do. We should always be careful. You can do work in a, in a, in a more um, humble way. You can commemorate people. You can give someone a booklet or a CD or whatever you've got. You don't have to go and say something. I know a person, for example, that... As soon as he opens his mouth to speak to someone, he just says everything confusing and confuses the person. Some people like that. The next part is on the relationship of parents with children. It says children must be careful. Children can also mean older people, adolescents or older. Must be careful to always show respect towards their parents. When they contradict their parents and are disrespectful, then... Uh, then the grace of God deserts them and they become vulnerable to the devil's influence and energy. That's another problem there. So this is the elders' teaching. When children, young and old, are disrespectful to their parents, they, God takes away his grace because of the fact that that's such a 
this thing, this relationship between parents and children uh, uh, is a holy relationship and God takes away the grace and, not my words, the elder says, and that person becomes open to the devil's influence and energy. Sometimes, he went on, when children behave badly towards their parents or insult them, they immediately start to be receptive to the devil's energies and become confused. By cursing or slandering their parents, they give the devil the right to interfere in their lives and control their actions. The same thing happens to monks when they accept negative thoughts about their elder or the rest of the monks. This way they give the right to the devil to fight them. This is important as well. Because a lot of people's lives don't go well. And the reason why they don't go well is because of our relationship with our parents. The way that we disrespect the parents or the way that we could even swear at the parents or whatever we are doing. We should know as Orthodox Christians that this makes us open to the devil's influence and things don't go well. Again, it doesn't mean that the person, as we're going to read further on, has to uh, be hanging from their parents and be, have a, an unnatural relationship, which I'll talk about soon. In general, we have to be respectful and be very, very careful with, uh, with that because we don't want to have a cursed life. That was very interesting. I actually um, only found that out as I was reading. I thought that was, um, that was very... And we should teach our children that as well when they're young, that God does not like when we do not listen to the parents, when we disrespect the parents, to know that. That should be instilled in the child from young, which, which a lot of times it's not. This is another important teaching. The children who fall asleep in the Lord, in other words children that die at an early age, go straight to paradise like the angels. And when their parents pass away, these little angels welcome them in heaven with lit candles. Parents are spiritually rewarded by their children angels. The same thing applies to the opposite situation. When a child grows up and goes astray, the parents are also harmed. Now, let me go on to this. When I meet people and you can see that... They are quite religious, or they, and they say that they have come to the church. And, and um, sometimes I say to myself, "How did these people come to the church? It could be that they were searching. That, that could be a reason." But I ask them a lot of times, "Do you have a relative who's a monk or a nun?" They go, "No." Okay. Do you have a? Was your mother or grandfather? What were they religious much? They go, "Not that I know of." I go, "Okay." Have you had a brother or sister, or, or did your child could be a, die when they were babies? They go, yeah. I go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because what happens is that when these children die, they actually uh, pray for their parents continually, their brothers, their sisters, whatever. And they and their prayers, because they're like angels, obviously, are very, very strong. So there's a reason, like we said before, you say, um, which our friend got a bit upset with, but the thing where we said that someone from an evil eye can actually, some, 
people are so horrible that they can even make a child die. Yes, the child can die because of the sin of the parent, for example. The child goes, dies a martyr, like the elder said, but then that child prays for the parent or parents that he's left or she has left behind. And through the prayers of that baby, those parents can be saved. This is what I'm saying. See, if God has the universe, as I said before, so perfect, everything works perfect, even the cell, the body is a miracle. How everything just, is, just works so perfectly and, and it's just amazing. Even scientists who don't even believe, come to belief in God, they say there must be a God because this is just too too much to actually believe that this all just came into existence. If God does that for physical things, the atom, the cell, the body or whatever, how much more he does it for even our lives, everything. A person dies over there, a person this, a person that, a person has an accident. All these things have purpose and they all interlink for one purpose, the salvation of the soul. And this is where a lot of people have lost children when they were young. Humanly, yes, it's sad. Humanly, it can be painful. Spiritually, if the person becomes more spiritual, they will begin to understand and go, well, okay, the child could have lived. What? Okay, could have lived, could have had grandchildren, I could have had grandchildren or whatever. But the main thing is that child's saved. And that child is praying for the family. And that's why you see sometimes families convert. Just out of the blue, could be a whole family starts just to go to church and this and that. It could be other reasons, but I've noticed that it could be either they've got a monastic in the family, a priest in the family, or something like that, or a baby that's died, or a child that's died. Even five years old, six years old, seven years old, whatever. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yes, baptised children. As for the unbaptised children, as I said last month, there are two uh, things that I've noticed in the church. Some fathers say that unbaptised children don't see light because they're not baptised. Which, which, um, and, and I also read Elder Cleopas of Romania who said that um, the church did speak quite harshly about those matters but it, it kind of didn't want to um, encourage people to have abortions and things like that. But he said that he believes that these children are like martyrs. The main thing is we know that there should be baptism. As for those that are unbaptized, we leave it in God's hands. We shouldn't go one way, just leave it. I mean, he did say that, but we do have other fathers that say um, one elder had a vision and he saw even um, people that weren't orthodox and he said that, you know, they were going according to their hearts, according to the gospel. The gospel was in their heart, naturally. Without knowing the gospel, they were living the gospel as if they were Christians but in a, in, a, in, a, in a broken way. And he said that God helped them, but they will not have the same benefits as the Orthodox. However, I prefer to say, let's leave that in God's hands, exactly what happens to them. Because of this chauvinism, we can say, oh, we are the only ones that are going to see the light. Yes, well, we who are Orthodox, as Elder Paisius the Great says, we who are Orthodox... If we deny and leave the church, we'll go to hell. As for the others who aren't part of the church in the first place, as for the others who aren't baptised, God takes care of them. 
we don't know what's going to happen to them. And it's not, we can't say they're going to be lost, they're going to be, this is no good. And this is what other religions do a lot. And some fanatics in, in the Orthodox Church would actually say um, those type of things and keep on going on and on and on as if they're um, a tape recorder. Um, the heretics are going to go to hell, and this is going to go to hell, and that's hell. And, you know, let's leave that. Because God, if we, we should be more concerned. How can we say, let's just say, which is what you said, which is a good... If we've got any form of love, how can we say so easily, oh, they're going to go to hell, or that person's going to go to hell, that prostitute's going to go to hell, that gay person's going to go to hell. Everyone's going to go to hell, basically. And um, how can we say that? And I remember reading Staric Siluanos, uh, Russian saint in Manathos, beautiful um, writings that he had, and someone said, I think it wasn't to him, I think he was talking about someone else, I can't remember, not important. There was one part there where a person said, all the heretics are going to go to hell. And then the, the holy elder said, love, a person with love could never say that. How could you even... even even have passed in your mind that that person go to hell. Do you know what hell is? To actually say easily, so easy like that to say someone's going to go to hell. I watched once uh, these, these Protestants in America. Uh, they belong to a group. It's like a family. It's a, uh, uh, and they're really into these gay things. Like everyone that's gay is basically this. Uh, they go on and on and on about it. And they go outside churches and shout, that, you know, if the preacher doesn't say it, yeah, for them, the preacher has to say that all homosexuals are going to go to hell. And they go on and on about it. And then uh, there was a BBC reporter went on there and he spoke to them and goes, and, um, so how about me? What's going to happen to me? Because, you know, I'm not Christian or whatever. He goes, and the girl, about 15, 17, 18, she goes, oh, you're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. <laughs> like that. See, this is unheard of. If we do do that, any of us, including myself, if any of us here easily says who's going to go to hell and say it easily without any pain, then we are not orthodox. We are not really. No one can say that easily. Parents who have retarded children must not feel sad for them because their souls are already saved. The mentally ill as well and things like that. On the contrary, they must be happy because their children, without making any effort, have earned paradise. They're already saved. What else can parents wish for their children? That's the question. If they face their children's defect in a spiritual way, they are also benefited and rewarded by God. Now, I don't know if many of you follow American politics, but the woman there who was going to become vice president if the Republicans got in, was the name of Sarah Palin there, now, she's some type of Protestant. I don't know what she is. And um, the women of America, a lot of the feminists, oh, they hated her. They hated her so much. Made fun of her, mocked her, anything they could. Why? Because she's against abortion, number one, and the feminists do not, because uh, that's one of their biggest achievements that they made, that they actually got the law passed in the 1970s that abortion to be legal... But another thing which really, really spins these women out is the fact that she had a baby with Down syndrome knowing that the, she had the baby had Down syndrome. I think that's, if I remember right, I, mean, I think that's what I remember, that she already knew before the baby was born 
that the baby had Down syndrome. Is that he said? And um, she had it. Oh, that just, that was the, it was like if you poured metho into their mouths and lit it, I think they would say, that's not painful. But the fact that, that she had a child like that, because today abortion and, you know, the, this, this thing of um, like Nazis and all that, when they used to have to try to make a super race, and that's what they're trying to do now is that we're going to genetically check women that are pregnant and find out whether they're going to have any imperfections or a boy, it's a girl, or this or that. And if it's not to your liking, you just get rid of the child. And this is um, where the world's going to. But I'm not here to judge them because I'm here to look at what for us as Orthodox Christians. That's what they're doing. And that's wrong. How God's going to judge them, we'll leave it to him because he knows exactly what's in them. As Elder Paisal says, he knows what's, what their background, what's their conscience. He knows everything about those people. We as Orthodox Christians must never, ever do that. See, that's what a lot of people... Uh, there's, there's some fanatical groups in the Orthodox Church which like to talk about all those that are outside the church and all the pagans and all this and all that. I don't, I'm not into that. I made that reference about about them, making a note on their behaviour. As for their soul, God knows what's going to happen to them. They might convert, they might chat, I don't know what's in them. Not, not, not my business. But, as well, what I want to come back to is that as Orthodox Christians, we must never get tempted that because the child is... And a lot of times, as we read in the Elders, I think it was Elder Epiphanius, something like that they, someone went to him and said oh, you know, the doctor told me that my child's going to be born retarded and something." Like, and he said you know, leave it in God's hands don't, do, don't have an abortion and I think someone went to Elder Porfirios and said to him I'm going to have an abortion and he says you have an abortion don't ever come here again and I'm not going to pray for you again okay so he shared the child. There's nothing wrong with it. So doctors can be wrong. But even if they're not wrong, okay, you give, you give birth to a child that's retarded or whatever, but there you've got a child who is already saved. Yes, Father. And even if they're right, we still go ahead. I'll repeat that just because I can't for the tape. Um, Father Alexander said that um, he knows an, an, uh, an example of someone who was told that the child had an abnormality, that they should have an abortion, and that um, she didn't listen, and the child now is 20, 20 years old and perfectly normal, and that the doctors were wrong. 
which they are most of the time. Um, <laughs> they, I think God blinds them because of their pride. And I said last time that where Elder Paisio said, even if, even if AIDS or cancer, say cancer, if God would give a cure for cancer, he would have to introduce another disease which is incurable because it's through diseases that people are saved, but also it's good for humility. See, these people, they're so progressed in their science and their, and their, and their technology, but yet they can't even solve certain things. They still can't even fix up AIDS properly. That's been going now for 25 years or more. And that's for humility. Because they, they think that they believe it. There's some, some of them, some of them are humble. We're going to go on to that in a minute. They're just too big for their boots. So... That's what it says. If they face their children's defect with us in a spiritual way, what's a spiritual way? Understanding that that child's saved already, then the child automatically is already saved, but also the parents will receive benefit by keeping that child and taking care of that child. We live in very selfish times, and uh, that selfishness is coming a lot into the Orthodox Church, where women would say, well, why should I take care of the child? I want to live, I want to have a career, I want to have this, I want to have that. You know, I mean, they're free to do whatever they want. Now, someone might ask, does that mean that women with careers, it's not, it's against the church? The church has no, no canons or rules which said that women can't have careers. Whether it's beneficial for all women is a different matter, which we're going to go on to as time goes on. Now, cults and gurus. Father, there is an elder who says to young people who visit him to discuss their personal problems that he has the gift to foresee the future. Is this a right thing to say? If I just heard that on its own, just that, I would say no, that's no good because you know they shouldn't say that um, I can see the future and all these type of things. I, I'm, I don't like that. And if someone told me that, I would say, oh, don't worry about it, don't go out of there because um, there must be something wrong. That's how I would have thought. And that's okay. But, but Elder Paisius looked at it in a different way. I'm not wrong because it's, it's still correct that it's not, it's, you know, there is a chance that that person is deceived. However, let's see the older how he looks at it. And when I read this, I go, oh, interesting, very, very interesting. Look here, says the older. God allows this for the benefit of young people because they are vulnerable to the influence of magicians, oriental religions, like, you know, like Zens and Buddhists, and etc., when they see that an orthodox monk has such a gift, they start spreading the word around, and this way more and more young people are being helped. They leave aside the religious cults and come to join the church. By talking about this gift, this monk becomes the reason for young people to join the church. Oh, I was like, um, change my, my understanding. And this is what we have to do. Or because I thought like this. Like some of you, you can think in certain ways. That was, that was my thought on that. But then we're told something different by an elder. We have to have the humility to say, oh, I didn't know that. I have to change my view. That's called humility. But when we stick to the view and say, no, 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 I'm going to stay like that and act like a child in the supermarket that wants a toy, banging its hands and its head on the um, floor, then 
that means that that's pride, that's egotistical, that's demonic, and everything else that goes with it. And that's what I'm saying. And there's a lot of things when I'm reading here, I go, oh, I didn't know that. And the same with you people. You've got certain views. When you hear things that, that are being told by an holy elder, by the church, you must be humble enough to say, I will now accept. Bow your head and say, I accept what the church teaches. Not to become a person who's egotistical and say, I'm going to believe what I want to believe. For example, old calendrists. For, there's an example. There are old calendrists. Some of them believe that all the other churches have got no grace. No other churches, even if they're old calendar as well, like Russian church, no other church has got grace except for their church. That's what they believe. Because some of them have been told that from young. So God will take that into consideration. If they were told from the day they were born, right, that that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that, you know, they've been influenced. And that's hard for the person, just like the people who lived in America in the South. From the day they were born, they were told that the blacks, for example, are, uh, um, are meant to be slaves. They're not equal. There's no equality with blacks. That's what they were told from young. It was really hard for them to get this out of their system. But, you know, it took how many years has it taken so far over there? Still they've got a lot, but a lot of it's changed. It's taken 50, 60, 70 years, etc., and it's going on. And as time goes on, more and more and more and more, now they've got the first black president unheard of before and things like that. So I'm just trying to show you that some people have been uh, brainwashed, I don't know, influenced wrong. So these people believe that. Some of them believe that. That's okay. I'm all right with that. I can still be nice to those people. That, that's okay. Because, I, I mean, we've all got our own... I'll tell you one example of my mum. Every time she would see a shoe that was turned around, or if I, say, threw my shoe when I was young, and the shoe would be like that, she goes, don't do that, put it back up. I go, why? And she goes, because it's like you are being disrespectful to God. This is before she came to the church. It's superstitious things, which a lot of people have. She believes that that is like you are showing disrespect to God. Like, you know, like people... Anyway... And so she, she must have said this a lot when I was young because to this day I kind of get a bit nervous when I see the shoe upside down. So I kind of kick it the other way, even though it's wrong, but it's because that's what I was taught from very young. Like a lot of you have been taught stuff from very, very young. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough now to be able to leave it there. And if you ask me, I can even turn the other one around and have them both that they can be matching. But it doesn't mean that um, I am going to you know, cry over it because that's, you know, cause sometimes I can get a bit anxious about it. So these people have been influenced from young. When you explain to them something from the church which contradicts and shows that what they believe is wrong... And they still persist in their belief, then there's a problem. Then it begins not to be just brainwash, ignorance, it becomes to be self willed, that they consciously do not want to accept what you're telling them, which is opposite to the way they believe. 
For example, holy water in the Catholic Church, I don't know if some of you know, they use salt to keep it so it won't go off. In the Orthodox Church, it doesn't go off, including in New Calendars churches and all other churches. So you say to them, oh, can you explain that to me? What is happening? You know, they just they don't know what to say. It's like their porky pig, you know? <laughs> they don't know what they're um, going to answer. I go, does that change your mind at all? And they say, B -b -b no. Right? So that's a problem. And the opposite can occur. There was, for example, in Russia, there was this thing about the catacomb church versus the official church. And those who were brought up in the official church, a lot of them were influenced and were told from young that the catacomb church people, they're all schismatics, they've got no grace, they're demonic, they're this, they're that. That's how they were taught from young. And then when they hear things like, for example, that some, something that happens within the catacomb church to show, for example, for many decades, nearly the whole of the Orthodox Church, nearly the whole of the Orthodox Church, believed that the Russian Church abroad, before it joined to Moscow, was schismatic. So when I went to Greece, and they go, oh, what church do you go to? I go, oh, I go to Greek church, I go to Russian. No, 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 you don't go to Russian churches. Schismatic, schismatiki. No, you must not go there. They've got no grace, etc. This is the way that they've been brought up. So I understood that that's what they've been taught from young, to believe that. But then when I said to them, okay, well, you know, um, we have um, two saints in corrupt. We have St. John, Archbishop of San Francisco, whose relics are incorrupt, who died in 1966, 66? Yeah. But later on, they opened his relics up in 1990-something. Um, and um, oh, miracles that have occurred at his grave. People flock there. How do you explain that? Same thing. The porky pig syndrome. But, 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 you know, well, uh, 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 schismatiki. Schismatic. That's it. Schismatic. And after that, they say it again, schismatic. And I say also, we've got one of our metropolitans who died in 1980 something, Mel uh, Metropolitan Filaret, whose relics are also incorrupt in, um, in New York, in Jordanville. Impossible. See, it's the same on both ends. Okay, people can be brainwashed or people can have ignorance or whatever, but when, when they see something which contradicts what they say, they should be humble, bow their heads and go, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I have to relook at this. But people don't do that a lot of times. They say, no, that's it, full stop. The one that I always use with um, some old calendars who believe that they are the only church in the world that will be saved, too much. Um, they say that um, as soon as a church prays with a heretic, that means that they lose grace and that's, that's all, it's all finished. And I said to them, do you know that in 1054, the Catholic Church broke away from Constantinople for political reasons and... and and the I believers, well, they changed it. I said to them, before the Greek church broke off from the Catholics, 
the I believe in one God, they changed where they said, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. I said, they, the Catholics had that for a couple of hundred years. Dogmatic, completely. They had actually changed it, and the Greeks still stayed with them. The Greeks did not break away from them. The Greeks broke away later on because the Pope wanted to be the head of the church, and the Greeks said no. So, what a second. So, for a couple of hundred years, the Greek church of Constantinople stayed in communion with Rome, even though Rome had changed the creed, you see. And then you say to people, well, how does that happen? You explain to me. You tell me, how does that happen? I don't know, the canons say that this, this, I'm asking you to explain it as a, from a historical thing. Why did the Greek Orthodox Church stay in communion with Rome, even though they changed the creed? I said, and furthermore, even after the Greek church broke off from the Catholic church, interesting, in 1054, the Orthodox Church of Alexandria remained, because Rome's very close to Egypt, remained in communion with Rome for 150 years. 150 years. So why am I telling you this? Because the church is not black and white. You have to be very careful. Because if you don't know things... People can come along and say, look, look here, look what, the, look, look what this example is, or look at that example. And unless you understand that there's a lot of other things around, and that's what I say to them. And, of course, we don't seem to become friends after that, and they don't come, and, and they don't ask me, they don't, we don't have any more discussions. See, that's, that's not right. Be, brain, be brainwashed, which we all are. We've all been brainwashed in some ways from young, in wrong things or whatever, but when you hear something, be humble and say, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Let me think. Not just cut it off. So this part here caught me a problem because I say, okay, well, this person's saying he can see the future. I mean, I would never say that because, one, I, can't, I, I, don't, I don't know it. Um, however, maybe the elder basis knew that this person specifically was a person who was progressed, usually Humility says you never say those things. Come to me, I know the future. That's not really done in the Orthodox Church. However, perhaps God allowed this to happen because a lot of people are moving, are going away because of these gurus and things like that. And so therefore, um, that's why if you read also Elder Paisios' book, books, he talks a lot about his own experiences and he says, I don't like talking about my experiences. He says himself, he goes, I hate talking about my experiences. Because it's, not, it's just not part of humility. I don't like it. But for the sake of the people, I do it because people have been lost. So if he said that about himself, then maybe we priests should a bit more often talk about certain miracles and um, experiences. Why? That's what an Orthodox priest is. An Orthodox priest is someone who does uh, perform miracles continually in everything whether it's prayers, whether it's this, whether it's uh, so many things. But yet, uh, no one really says anything because they don't want to make out that they're deceived, which is fair enough. But meanwhile, people believe that the Orthodox Church is dead. And they go to these other places because their, their spiritual things more deep. You know, it's, got, it's, it's really tangible. You know, you, you get all these things and that which are wrong anyway. 
And that's why one of the books up there, which an archerman wrote, Haralambos Vasilopoulos, who is a, he wrote a lot of books in Greece. Uh, he actually wrote a book called Miracles My Eyes Have Seen. It's at the back. And he goes through a lot of things. And I can see why he did it. He wrote books about magic. He wrote books about masons and this. Ah, so many things. He's, he wrote a lot of books um, on dreams, on card playing. He calls it the 52 demons of the, of, of the card deck. And these are all books, very, very popular books in Greece. I wish that they translate more into English. But his books help, just like Elder, oh, sorry, uh, Father Seraphim Rose's books. Excellent books. He goes through and he talks about the gurus and he talks about the UFOs and he talks about the Pentecostals and he talks about that. And even though his books weren't very welcomed in the West because people are so deceived that they don't really can't penetrate into what he's trying to say, but in countries like Russia, where they come out of communism and suffered a lot, his books have, have been translated into, Russia, into Russian and very popular and helped and have helped thousands and thousands, of, and in the West, but not like in Russia. These communist countries, they, these people suffered a lot and they're more open to the truth than we in the, in the West. It is a sin for someone to lie. When he lies for a good cause, that is to save someone else, then it's a half a sin. Because the lie is for the benefit of his fellow man and not for himself. However, it is also considered a sin. Therefore, we, must, we should keep in, in mind and not fall into the habit of telling lies for insignificant things. Uh, Saint Dionysius of Zakynthos lied when the murderer of his brother came to his monastery to, to hide from the police. The police, this man killed someone and um, he came to the monastery knocked on the door and said, hide me because the police are going to come. So the elder let him in and then he said to him, what have you done? He goes, I killed someone tonight. And he goes, who was it? And it turned out to be his brother. But he didn't tell him it was his brother. And he confessed him and brought him to repentance, the murder of his brother. And when the police came, he said, no, he's not here. So he lied. Now, in our minds... We say it can't be a sin because it's for a good reason. And elder patients are saying it's a half a sin. In other words, it's still a sin even if it is said for, to save a million people. Why? Because Christ, if you read all through his life, he's the Gospels, he didn't say not one lie even for good reasons. He had the way because of his wisdom and being God. He was able, whatever, whatever he said, he was able to, in a wise way, bring across what he wants to say without having to lie. The saints, being in fallen nature, lie at times. Next year, when we do Elder Porfirios, we'll see that when he was going on to Mount Athos because he didn't have a beard and he wasn't allowed in those days, and then he met an elder on the boat and the elder said, just say you're my nephew and then they'll let you on, all lies. And then Elder Porfirios got on to Mount Athos. These people still confess because untruth is untruth, and to a saint, untruth bothers them, even if it's for good reasons. We've got to the stage where we just lie about everything and don't care about it, and even lie in front of our children, and the children learn as well. So we have to understand, a lie is still a lie. Now we come to Christian doctors, which I thought was interesting. I was going to 
Um, it's. I always indicate to people who suffer from physical illnesses, and I'll add to this, even though the author didn't say it, and mental illnesses as well, and want to be cured, to go to a Christian doctor or to go to Christian doctors. Even if they are not well-educated, in other words, even if they're not really fantastic doctors, still go to them. They are always enlightened by God since they trust everything in him. If they have good knowledge of their science, that's even better. You know, if they're fantastic doctors as well, well, that's okay. However, a Christian doctor prays to God and asks for enlightenment. And, I mean, I've got certain physical problems. And I've gone to specialists and specialists and specialists. And um, none of them have ever helped me. I'm still sick. In Greece, there are Christian doctors. In Russia, there's Christian doctors. I went to, I went to a monastery once, and there was a doctor. He was a specialist in um, breast surgery for cancer. He would operate on women with breast cancer. And a very pious person, communed often, confessed often. And I was told that every time he has an operation, he really prayed hard. Every time he was he would to do an operation, he would pray. Um, and I'm sure there's also Protestant and Catholic doctors who also perhaps pray before they do whatever they're going to do, so that people do believe. But in general, it would be the best to go to Orthodox doctors. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have many good ones here. If you know any, can you can you tell me because I'm looking for one myself. In in, in Greece, as I've said before, there's also. Christian uh, Orthodox psychiatrists. And, I, and I've said before that the psychiatrists work together with the priest to help. There are even priests who are qualified psychiatrists in Greece. We don't have that here. I remember once someone told me they had a problem, a mental problem. And when they, when they went to Greece, they went to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, okay, what's your name? Whatever, say John. The first question, he says, so um, how is your spiritual life? You know, how are you in your spiritual Do you have a spiritual father? Do you confess? Do you commune? That's what this person told me. Fabulous. It is better that women become obstetricians. Now, an obstetrician is um, a doctor who deals with women who are pregnant and going to be given birth. Is that right? It is better that women become obstetricians because men tend to confuse things and create complicated situations. A pregnant woman may even have a miscarriage due to her shyness before a male obstetrician. Christian women should become obstetricians. That was quite interesting when he said that. And it's true that some women are very shy and have a lot of problems dealing with males and from their anxiety they can become so anxious that they can actually lose the child and so Elder Paisus is saying that women uh, should become obstetricians and women should go to women obstetricians but unfortunately I think there's not many of them around but that was a good point I found very interesting many times the war of the flesh sexual sins derives from sorrow when the person cannot overcome his grief the devil pushes him towards this direction for consolation. However, sensitive people become even more upset afterwards. Did you understand all that? 
See, sometimes it's very hard to understand. So, I'll try to explain. When people become depressed sometimes, or they become anxious, or they become have problems, whatever, they try to alleviate those problems by committing certain sexual sins, whatever they are. Could be internet, could be to themselves, could be with others. And they believe that by doing that, that they will be relieved of that particular problem that they've got. I believe that this comes from childhood, that a lot of people who um, suffer from anxiety become melancholic for reasons, maybe their parents are fighting, maybe for whatever reason, not, they haven't been given love, they live in a, maybe someone could be alcoholic, drug, there could be violence in the family, could be a lot of reasons. And a lot of times as they begin to grow, they begin to find these, this exodus in the sexual passions, believing that that's going to help them. And he says that the devil pushes them towards this direction for consolation. However, sensitive people, in other words, Christian people, who do that later on can become very upset due to the fall. And they can become into despair. They can fall into despair and believe that God's left them, etc., etc. It's a habit. It's, uh, I've noticed it with people. When they, when they come to me and they talk about those problems, I always tell them that it's associated with, you know, in, for example, you go to your job, or you're at school, or you're in, a, in your marriage, or just anything in life. And as soon as you find problems, stress, anxiety, difficulties. You, you, people run to that because that's how they learnt from young to console themselves in those ways. And that's where, as Orthodox Christians, we should run to God, not to those things, because we believe, we might think that we're being consoled, but it just becomes worse and worse and worse, and hence we see these internet problems with people at, at, at home where it's destroying families, the internet pornography. And people are, are on that continually. It's gone completely out of hand. And when I speak to these people, it's always the same thing. It's like, well, what made you do it? Oh, I had st- stress at work, I had stress with the wife, I had stress with this, I had stress with whatever, whatever, this and that. And this is what happens. Because we have to learn, as Orthodox Christians, to run to God when we're, stre- when we're stressed. Uh, um, St. John of Cronstein says that um, when we are in sorrows or depressed a bit, people run to entertainment. In his days, it was the, the theatre in Russia. They used to run to the theatre. And later on, it's coming on to the cinema. But now it's the TV and videos or materialism to try and receive some consolation. But it doesn't do anything. It makes the person worse. That's what he was talking about. But when you just read it like that, many times the war of the flesh derives from sorrow. 
When the person cannot overcome this grief, the devil pushes him towards this direction for consolation. However, sensitive people become even more upset afterwards. I think a lot of people would not get it. I think that's what it's talking about, but I mean, perhaps someone who listens to the tape might know a different um, meaning, but that's what I think it is trying to say. Are there any questions so far? Uh, I You mean just to be polite yeah. when someone says, how do I look? And inside you're saying you look ugly, yeah. but, but you can't say it. Is that what you mean? Yeah. It's a very difficult thing, you see. A wise person, like Elder Paisios, I'm sure that he would have a way of answering the question. Some way not to commit a sin. But then again, if you say it, the person can get very upset. So we choose the lesser of two evils. If, the, if just going along with the person so as not to upset them because, you know, you don't even know, sometimes people can get very depressed. Um, you choose the lesser, but you still have to realise it's still a sin. But you chose that because you don't want it. It's like where we read in the Optin Elders where a woman went to the elder, to elder Macarius of Optin and said, my mum... My mother wants me to do this and this thing, but my husband is telling me to do this. What do I do? If I don't listen to my mum, it's like I'm being disobedient to my mother. If I don't listen to my husband, I'm being disobedient to my husband. So what do I do? And the elder said, you choose the lesser of two evils. Disobedience to parents is bad, but disobedience to your husband, who you've joined to and become one, is worse. So you listen to your husband, not to your mum. Okay. But you repent because you, you did also there. So we are sometimes uh, confronted with decisions of making that we've got to do and we've got to sometimes choose the lesser of two evils as that's expression. Knowing that it's still wrong and repenting to God and say, oh, forgive me for having to lie or forgive me for whatever. That's a different situation. The problem here is you don't want to agree, but you also, if you're not capable, you don't want to go into discussion because these people that have these opinions, a lot of times they've studied a lot and they've got all these arguments. And unless you kind of know how to answer those, you're going to get into a predicament and you could become angry. And instead of trying to help him, you might become so angry that you might punch him in the face, and which can happen because we get angry. And we can... Um, um, just go out of control and just the whole thing. So what we say is, okay, that's not right. Um, uh, however, I'm not in the position to be able to go into detail about it, but I can find out more if you like, and they don't come back. You know, I mean, someone comes up to me, even they might come up and say to me some topic, I don't know, they might say something where I might not be really into it, I don't know much about it, and I say to them, oh, I don't know much about it, but I, I can get you a book, let me know if you're interested they don't come back. So you've covered yourself, stop the conversation, that's the end. Some people don't have the ability. 
to do it. And when they do it, they can become quite awkward. You know, like, for example, in my younger years, I would find it hard to say certain things and I could become angry, I could become aggressive, I could become like that. I still can now. But, but as time goes on, you learn to be able to say things in a way as not to offend the person and say it like that. That, that was good. Um, but some people can't do that. Some people would find that really, really difficult to do because they become disturbed because they, it's like, oh, but I, I want to say it's ugly. I want to say it's ugly. You know, it's all different, different people. And everyone develops in different ways. So we just have to be aware that what a person can't do now, I'm able to do better in two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years. I find that as time goes on, still even today, I get into situations where people speak to me and I still, sometimes I get, oh, like I didn't know what, how to handle that. I wasn't ready for that. And then I have to think about it and then maybe say to myself, well, how should I have handled that? Then you ask others and you read and you pray to God and, you, and then you learn. And then as time goes on, then another situation comes. There's a lot of situations where you just don't know. Like some people come to me and they're really full-on deceived and they are into dreams, for example. And they sit and within five minutes they tell me about 50 dreams that they've seen on all these different saints and all these different things. And then you're just there and they're really full-on focused on what they're saying. So you're standing there and I'm trying to stay with a face that's not going to offend them. And I want to say to them, look, I'm sorry, but this is deception. But you can also hurt a person. You can knock them around. They can leave the church. You've got to be very, very careful. The truth of the matter is you should say that it's wrong. But you've got to use the discernment to be able to know what to say and how to say it. And I wait. And sometimes I can't do it. Because the person's so intense at that moment, he can't do it. So I say to myself, what I read, some St. John of Cronstan says it, and others have said it. He goes, when you want to correct someone, sometimes it's better just to pray for them. Because when you go to correct them and then your passions get involved, I'm like, so the person's going on. And then the person might say to me, this dream, and I say to them, oh, you know, the fathers say that we shouldn't believe in dreams. Sometimes I do that with some people. Some people but they all of a sudden can become quite reactive to that. And I can cause a whole problem. Then that person begins to attack me, and all of a sudden, if I'm not spiritually prepared or if I become proud, then I can start to attack them. And we have an argument, right? And what happens at the end? It's just like, oh, there's a whole mess. So sometimes it's just better to remain silent. The person can become very um, vindictive. I don't know. It's, just, it's, very, it's very hard to have a recipe for everything. And that's what I've noticed. The more you live in the Orthodox Church, the more you see that things aren't just formulas like in maths. See, area of a trapezium, right? Half, what? Half the parallel sides added times the height. That's a formula. Finish. That's it. But in, in, in Orthodoxy, we said before, for us, two and two is four, but for God, two and two can be eight, can be ten, can be fifteen, it can be a hundred sometimes. It's all different. Um... That's my experience anyway, but that's, um, everyone's got different opinions, but it depends on the person. Some people are very hostile. Sometimes you've got workmen, they, you know, they blaspheme. You don't even know, like sometimes they're talking in front of you and they're actually saying things in front. Then you've got to, you've got to then be ready 
to say something. Okay, some people you can say, oh, you know, don't say that. Some people go, oh, sorry. Some people can become aggro. But then, you, then, then we read the lives of saints which said, oh, it doesn't matter, then you should be a martyr, and if they bash you, you know, hit you with a big piece of log of wood that they're working with, then, you know, you should, there's, there's all different things. You've got to be careful. Sometimes we're just weak and we don't say anything, which we should. Then we should repent because, because we didn't say. Human nature has all different things and we can't... I'm not going to sit here and, and say to you, there's all formulas for everything. There's not. It's difficult. There's all different ways. this was quite good too it says holiness cannot become standardized each one of us has his own way through which he or she is sanctified just because one of the saints was sanctified by living in an tree we have saint david of thessalonica where his asceticism was in an almond tree he lived in the almond tree he became holy from that sorry an almond tree Almonds, like walnuts, like nuts, almond tree, yeah. He became holy from living in an almond tree. Others sat on columns, they were stylites. All different ways. Um, it does not mean that you have to do the same. Or just because he did 1,000 prostrations, some saints did 1,000 prostrations, you don't have to do as he did. Or because another saint was holding his breath when he was saying the Jesus prayer, there's a whole book written on that, by the way, which some people in the world read them, which says, you know, how to sit on a stool and how you position your head and you go, Lord, you, and you do all these breathings and all these things like that so that you can, the prayer can enter into your heart. He says that some people did that. Uh, it does not mean that you have to imitate him. Also, Elder Paisio says, I think it was in his, his, in his epistles book, that he said that some monks may never be able to do the Jesus prayer to its deepest form. It just says that, um, just pray, you know. And I, I love the part where he says, because a lot of people, when they come into the church, they read these books on the way of the pilgrim and other books and say we should do the Jesus prayer, which is good. But he's, Elder Paisio said something, because I always believe that People overdo it sometimes in, the, in, in, in that area. But I've got to be careful to say that because people can say I'm a heretic because I'm against the Jesus prayer, which, which obviously as a monk, I'm not. However, from what I've seen, people, how they, how they go around and like zombies and, you know, like doing this um, prayer and becoming deceived. Elder said, which was excellent, he goes, the prayer comes from our understanding of our sinfulness. So when we're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, we're meaning have mercy on me because you feel you're going to go to hell and that you need God's mercy because you're so sinful and so passionate, etc. And then when you've got that in your heart, then the prayer becomes real and it goes on and then it begins to become part of you. We forget that these saints that were practising these prayers already had that. They already had a sense of their sinfulness they already were cultivating a life of repentance and humility. But we, a lot of us don't even know what the word repentance means. A lot of us, I know, that people that used to come to me and say, I can't repent. I've got no feelings. They either have 
despair or they have a made-up repentance. Some people repent. In my experience, only some people actually are leading a life of repentance. A lot of people sin and, they, as I said, they either freeze up because they can't believe that they sinned. A lot of people can run away from the church because their, proud, their pride doesn't allow them to humble themselves. A lot of people can then become distracted and do other things to not think about the sins that they've done. There's so many different things. And the elder answered it beautifully. That's why these books are very useful. That he said, um, the prayer comes from when you're struggling. So, as Orthodox Christians, we struggle. We fall into sin. We try not to fall, but we fall. Then we realise, oh, I'm weak. Look at me, I f- I, I'm falling. And then we repent. Then that gives us humility. And as time goes on, then it might take a, quite a number of years for someone to say, Lord, have mercy. Like to really feel and say, Lord, have mercy. I'm, there's no way I can be saved without your mercy. Only a few people have got that. So even though in church we hear Kirileson and Lord have mercy, Gospel of the Bermuda, all that, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, including the choir a lot of times, including even us priests, including uh, the people in general, the words don't really penetrate into our hearts because of our spiritual life, which a lot of times is slack, or we're submerged in materialism, which kills the spirit. Elder Bayesha says that. And he says, don't give your children too much stuff. Deprive them of things a bit. Don't give them because you're going to kill them. You're going to kill their spirit. Out of love, people give their children. Like you go, you go to a house and there's just you know, 50,000 toys everywhere. You can't even walk without slipping. And, and, um, and got, the child's have got everything. And it's with materialism and own bedrooms. They've got to have their own bedroom and their own ensuite. You know, and things like that. And this is where the elder says, don't do that. And this whole economic crisis in America and everywhere now, this is, this is good in one way. Why? Because people had become, because the credit cards and all that credit, people had become with their boats, with their uh, plasmas and their others and this and that and cars, etc., etc. It was just clothes and the, the amount of materialism kills the soul of Christians. You can't lead a spiritual life when you're submerged in that type of materialism. And now people are starting to think twice before they buy stuff or they just can't buy because they've got no money. People have lost their mansions. Now you might say, oh, does that mean if someone lives in a five-bedroom house that they, that they can't be with God? Yeah, of course they can be. It's hard. How can God fit in a heart which is full of materialism? And that's why now, because of this crisis, this is actually from God which is good because it will bring many back to the church because the materialism, a lot of people have lost it now. There's a bit of room now. See, when we've got in there the plasma, then the nice car, the nice lounge, and, you know, the big house and the swimming pool and the rumpus room, and the pool table, and all the electronics, there's no room for God in that heart. There's no room. 
And that's why the saints would deprive themselves of materialism. And that's where I rang up once years ago this uh, abbess in, Amer- in Greece. And I spoke to her and I was t- telling her, I go, oh, like a lot of the people, they can't, the people that come to me, they can't seem to penetrate into the spiritual life. And she says, Tangosmia, which means the worldly things. I go, what do you mean? She goes, materialism. The materialism doesn't allow them to penetrate, to come into the spiritual life. And that's why the Russians and a lot of the Serbians and the Romanians and all those that went through communism, they never had any of that. They were very poor. Communism is bad, yes, but spiritually they're in a better position than us. And as for the African Orthodox or the Korean Orthodox, especially the African Orthodox, really poor, and we know that the Church of Alexandria there, you know, how many, they've got a lot of Orthodox people, blacks there that are converting to Orthodoxy, and they live in, and they, and the Greeks that go there from Greece, they go, Greece is nothing. Like the people are so far away from God compared to the Africans, the African Orthodox. So what does that mean? Am I asking you to go to Africa? No. Am I asking you to go and live in a cave? No. What am, I, what am I saying? I'm saying that to be conscious of materialism. Is there a canon which says you're not allowed to buy a plasma? I don't think so. Is there a canon which says that you can't have a TV? There's nothing, because the TV didn't exist when the days of the canons. So what do we do? Am I going to tell you not to buy a plasma? No. What I'm going to say is to be conscious of what I just said. Keep that in mind, and when you think, oh, I want to go and buy something, say to yourself, no, it's not necessary, and plus it's cluttering me up. People say to me, should I listen to music? Well, can you listen to it and still be with God? You know, or is it cluttering up your, your mind? Television, I, I mean, you know, should I watch television? Should I, I'm not going to tell them not to watch it. Children, yes. I'm, that I'm, I'll even say the word fanatical. Children, not five, six, seven, should not even have it at all because that's even been shown by psychiatrists so that's damaging but um, as for adults I would say that's your own decision if you can watch it and keep your spiritual life and your repentance okay but if you if, if you're watching it and you're becoming disturbed or it's affecting your spiritual life it's making you fall into sins or it's making you keep away from your family or it's giving you ideas once someone that was sitting up there with that fellow is there. What's your name again? Stamati is there. There was a couple there about four talks ago. And they said to me, what should we do as married couples? And I've been waiting for them to come back. They haven't come back um, yet, maybe because I think the wife was sick. And uh, I will answer, they're not here, so I wanted to say it one day. One example would be never to watch shows, movies and things like that which talk about adultery as a joke or even as a serious show which is that because it puts ideas into people people's minds today are very weak as our friend said and we are vulnerable we are open our minds are open to suggestion when people watch those shows it does give them ideas and it influences more than what we think and therefore you can be married and then just from watching something on that, you can get ideas to commit adultery, which a lot of couples are doing now. So you should have a rule. If you're married, 
some of you are married, have a rule together. Never to watch a show which has in there anything to do with adultery and divorce because it opens up the doors, it influences. Now, people might say, oh, you know, you're putting us down because you make up that we're weak. That's true, we are. TV is very powerful. And if we have watched TV from very young, and I mean very young, the, it's so powerful that we don't even know how, what effect it's having. If you watched it as an older person, you're a bit more, you've got more of a chance. But if you watched it from the day you were born, basically, it's so strong. One person said to me, I watched it from the day I was born. My family used to put me in front of it to keep me occupied. And this, this person has made a decision, doesn't want, he doesn't watch TV. He doesn't want his TV for the children. He doesn't want him. That, that's his decision. Him and his wife have made the decision. But one day he was somewhere, maybe at his father's place or something, and he was, he's just, he got a bit absorbed and he watched something. But this person has hadn't watched TV for years. And he said that he, that the mind, he, he actually could, he could actually see everything that he saw and he couldn't get it out of his brain and it was really, really strong on him. Why? Because he hadn't watched it for a long time. But when you watch it every day, it's just part of your life and you're not really realising. You've got to come away from it for a period of time and then you'll notice the effect it's got. One last thing. Saint Ignatius in the arena, he talks about uh, people who are so deceived and say, even monks, he says, there was a monk who said, I can, I can talk to a woman and not be influenced. And they say, and this monk said, and I talked to her about things of salvation. And then the elder, uh, sorry, Saint Ignatius writes there and says that, when the person's doing that every day, he's not aware of what the effect is having on him. But then when he stops that and has a period where he's not, being with, he's not doing that at all, in, that, in your case, say, watching TV, or in his case, talking to women about, even about matters of salvation, he says, after a while, you will begin to understand the effect that it's had. So when people say to me, I don't believe the TV's got a bad effect. I go, okay, stop it. Even, all right, let's say that's an argument. Why don't you just stop it for a couple of months and tell me what happens? And then they come back and they go, oh. one woman said to me, um, I can't see why the beach is bad, for example. I don't see it's bad. Anyway, she came back to me a few months later and um, her eyes were going like around, like, you know, like a Mickey Mouse doll, and it was like completely spinning around. I go, what's wrong? She goes, um, I stopped the going, but then I went. And I never knew what effect it's having on me and how strong it was. I just was part of it. But when I pulled away and then went back again, that's when I realised it. And that's where we read St. Mary of Egypt, her life, where, as you know, she was a prostitute for, for, and then she changed and then she went to the desert. And by being cut off from all that, she began to see the effect that the sexual things that were and the drinking and the and the dancing and the music all that began to crave in her to be fulfilled we don't know that a lot of times because we haven't cut ourselves off from the source of our passions when we cut ourselves off then we see what beast is in us and that's when spiritual life begins
and that's why many people don't come. If you, you see, some of you are here now, which is good, and some of you won't come again. Because, I'll tell you why, because a lot of people aren't seeking salvation. These talks can only be accepted if someone is struggling for salvation. If you're not struggling for salvation, these talks are no good. They will be damaging for you. And in a way, it's better off not to come. Because what happens is, when someone says to me, oh, someone's coming to the talk, I go, okay. And are they struggling for salvation? They go, not really. I go, oh, I hope they don't cause trouble, because usually they cause trouble. But sometimes they hear the word and then they, and then they change. That's, that's good, and that's why we, we, the doors are open. But a lot of times as well, people come and they say, oh, he said this, and they change everything around because they're not seeking salvation. So I hope for you, for all of you, that those who are seeking salvation continue and those who aren't seeking salvation begin to seek it because that's the purpose of life. Amen.